and welcome to Fresh Cuts Top 10 of 2020. We are officially into 2021, but before we start the new year of reviewing movies, we always round out with our Top 10 show. So, we have a big cast tonight, so I'm going to start by introducing the Fresh Cuts regulars. Uh, So I will go right to Mr. Venom. How are you doing, Venom? Greetings and salutations, 2020 survivors. I'm not doing too bad, Mike. How you doing? Hey, it's a it's a great day. It's about to get better because I'm I'm actually pretty looking forward to hearing uh, everyone's list. It's it's been one of those years, and uh, horror movies have kind of been that one small thing to help take our minds off things at times. So um, next, I will introduce uh, the co-host that has kind of made. A home on Fresh Cuts started out as kind of like a you can show up when you want to, and that kind of turned up into showing, or turned into showing up every week. That would be Don and Ellie. How are you doing, Don? Yeah, doing good, man. Yeah, just uh, one of those. Thank God we survived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Next up, uh, although he's not a regular co-host on Fresh Cuts, you do hear him regularly with me and Venom on the main show, No room, no More Room in Hell, and that would be Derek. How are you doing, Derek? Oh, yeah, I'm doing good now, Mike. Uh, <laughs> what's going on? It's It's been a while since I got the yellow at you, so this is great. I can't wait to yell at you some more when the game really up and But I'm here. <laughs> I can't wait till Derek's buzz starts to kick in around selections 8 or 7, and then the yelling's going to be awesome. <laughs> you think he's gonna last till eight? <laughs> I, I last. I last until number one on ninety-one. Twenty-two oh, shots. That's right. Yeah, and that was one hell of a marathon of a show. <laughs> All right, next up, you have heard him here before many, many times, but it has been a while. So, what a way to welcome him back! It's Brandon Young. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm good. Good to be with you, homies. Uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, it's been about a shit, almost a year since we recorded something. So, uh, yeah, glad to be back. <laughs> glad to be able to all judge right. you guys for all of your lists. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> this is how you bring me back? Well, here we go. All right. And then rounding out our cast tonight, he's also been on here before. Let's welcome him back. Scott Crawford, how are you doing? Uh, doing great, Mike. Thank you guys for having me on this show. I am so looking forward to talking about uh, some of these amazing movies and hearing everybody's lists. Nice. Uh, I'm just more Ooh. curious. Does he have a top 10 or does he have a top 20 that he's going to whittle into a top 10? Who, me? <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got a top 100, Don. Come on now. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. <laughs> All right. Well, um... There's not much to get to before getting into our list, and seeing as this show will end up probably likely longer than 
most any episode of Fresh Cuts. I don't see any reason to uh, procrastinate getting into the list themselves. So I always kick things to Venom first. So let's keep the tradition going. Venom, do you want to start with your number 10? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, back to Mike's point earlier about the year 2020. I mean, yeah, this was a, this was a struggle of a year for us to get through, obviously. I know a lot of us lost our jobs. You know, some people lost their livelihood, their, you know, uh, their places of living. And um, we got very little help from the old GOV. So I'm not going to get all political here. But, you know, I know luckily I was one of the lucky ones who was able to work from home. I work, you know, I'm a software engineer. So despite being able to work from home for the majority of this year, I honestly didn't watch as many movies this year as I did last year which is shocking. And part of that might be because this was a new video game console year, and anybody who knows me knows I'm a huge gamer. I picked up both the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, so those have been giving me a, you know, they've been taking a lot of my time over the last couple of months. But, you know, just chugging along with my movie watches, obviously about 95% of what I watched this year was at home. I was able to watch a few more things the first couple of months of the year because I'm lucky enough to live in L.A. I was actually able to see stuff like VFW and Colorado Space after midnight, stuff like that in theaters out here in L.A. So that helped me out. But obviously, once the lockdown came, it was never lifted in L.A. So no theater has been open in Southern California since March, which obviously is a big downer for me. But what are you going to do? But let's... uh, get away from all the sad shit and start talking about the stuff that we loved in 2020. And I'm going to start my list off this year with a Netflix film. This is a directorial debut. Um, Some people might look at this film as a haunted house film. Some might look at it as a curse film. Others might look at it as more of a psychological, you know, uh, type horror film. <clears throat> the film was filled with some beautiful set pieces, some amazing acting, uh, an absolutely you know wonderful score with a lot of like traditional African music in it. And now that I said that, most of you probably know my number ten this year is His House from the director Remy Weeks. Um, this movie was higher on my list over you know probably like a week or so ago, but I just. By doing my rewatches over the last couple of weeks, I obviously have grown a little bit more fond of some of the other films in my top ten. But his house still has to be recognized. This was a gorgeous film. I mean, just an incredible look at survivor's guilt. I absolutely love the way that they handled the two different kinds of survivor's guilt that the two main characters had. Um, You know, one was more about, you know, the friends that she left behind in Sudan Whereas the uh, the male character's survivor's guilt is more about the people that passed away during the journey from the Sudan to southern UK. So, um, you know, a lot of really great um, social commentary in here, classism, uh, I mean, racism. It's one of the first films I've ever seen that has black-on-black racism. I know it exists. I'm not ignorant, but I've never seen it in a film before. So it definitely struck me as odd to see, like, you know, three young uh, black British teenagers, you know, giving shit to this, you know, adult Sudanese woman refugee. And it definitely made me feel uncomfortable because, like I said, it's not really anything I've ever experienced before. But all in all, I love this movie. Great, uh, very satisfying ending. Some really cool set pieces, some gorgeous imagery throughout. 
So yeah, my number ten is His House from Netflix. Nice. Oh, dope. Good, good stuff. Mm. Very yep. solid movie. Hard to argue with that one. Very good. Very good. All right. Uh, Lex, let's go to Don and Ellie. Uh, you're number 10. And if you have anything to say about 2020, go ahead. All right. So, um, I mean, I can't speak for Venom, but um, I was never a theater goer. Um, if you must know, my last theatrical viewing was Peter Jackson's King Kong. So that was the uh, last time I was in. (laughs) Yeah, that was the. That was the last. Fifteen years ago, yo. That was the last time I went to a theater. So. Damn. Yeah, um, I've been at home for fifteen plus years now, so it's not really been much of a difference. Uh, First few weeks, other than uh, staying at home more often, um, I actually was one of those that my life didn't really change that much, although. the cabin fever did kind of subside watching more, so that helps. Um, I did actually have an increase in movie watching. Um, last 2019, uh, I barely managed 400 movie watches for the year. Not just current year watches, but like total watches for the year, and I made that on the 31st. So uh, 2020, I ended up, because staying home a little more often... Uh, I ended up with like 480, I think was my letterbox tally. Uh, I'm somewhere in there. I'm, I'm not going to bore you with me anymore. But um, seeing as the other thing I want to mention real fast is that uh, seeing as how my show uh, will be doing a top 10 itself in order to keep the re- the results of that one even more secret. This is not my top 10 of the year. This is actually going to be top 10 films that were covered on fresh cuts Uh so i told you guys that nobody had my list and this is the reason why i'm only i'm only i only considered films that were covered on fresh cuts so uh my actual list is a little bit different um i believe even though i'm still not done i believe the top five or six are on my actual list as of this moment and uh yeah um i'm only saying all this because because uh, my number ten is his house. So, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, nice. Yeah, right off number, the bat, we yes. go one repeat. Yeah, my number ten is his house. So, I mean, uh, he said it great. You know, uh, the the story is incredibly unique and very original. It's not necessarily something I've seen before. What he was mentioning with the you know races, the racial undertones, and the the camera work is great you know it's far more professional than i ever would have thought it would be and in general i just thought it was so much fun and you know the scares work the film is great and i mean you know it's a great film so uh number 10 for me nice dope (laughs) all right next we will go to derek number 10 Derek. Yeah, 2020 was a great year for me, Mike. I had to go to work at Home Depot every day and get calls from Home Depot, from Skype, from you. You know, it, it, it always kept me going on the anger and the strife of that. But, you know, I got to watch some interesting movies this year. And this one took me back to a time period in my life when I loved creature features and they took themselves a little bit more serious. 
And then, of course, is Dick Moss's Uncaged, a.k.a. Prey. Nice. I was so stoked when this finally came out, because, of course, it was, you know, was it going to come out? When is it going to come out to America? It finally dropped in U.S. in 2020. And a killer line movie in Amsterdam is something that I always dreamed about. And the thing that I love about this movie is it takes itself 100% serious with its subject matter. It's not, you know, I, I like sci-fi channel movies. I know me and Don and Venom like them, too. But you could tell which ones actually care, and this one actually cares and takes its subject matter a little bit more serious than those movies. In my like, it reminds me of like early like eighties creature features like Alligator, in that sense where they take the subject matter serious, even though it should be like over the top. You know what I mean? In that sense, and this one's no exception. There is some CGI, but there's a lot of animatronics used with the lions also, which I also like. And it doesn't. It's not afraid to kill kids. I love that shit. It's fucking awesome. Love it. So much fun. Uncaged. Dick Moss never disappoints me. Nice. Excellent. Yes. And I, I, I got to say, yeah, the lion effects in that, they managed to make them like, good enough to where it, it wasn't that much of a distraction. I mean, if you go into a movie with a killer lion, you're going to expect some of it. But I, I appreciate how they pretty much played that movie straight going into it. I figured it was just going to be like a silly, you know, watch lion kill people. But, but I was kind of surprised the direction they went, but it worked. It was good. Hell yeah. Um, all right. Next up, let's go with Brandon young. Number 10. All right. Uh, for my 2020 spiel, I don't know a lot. I mean, my year was pretty much the same cause I, I work in it as well. So I, I just work from home the whole time. Uh, so that's been good. I, I realize I'm fortunate. My wife works in healthcare, so there's been, you know, that kind of concern with things, but we've both been working and we've been healthy and we've been good. I've had more personal dumb things happen, like recovering from surgery right now. So that kind of sucks. But other than that, I'm good. I'm I'm glad to be back with you guys, of course. And uh, yeah, so my number ten is actually something that may have been one of the last episodes of Fresh Cuts I did, and it's, amazingly, it made it into my top ten. And that is Underwater. Great uh, movie. And uh, we all enjoyed it on the show when we talked about it. And I just I rewatched this one a couple times with my family, so it just managed to keep me entertained every single time. And the fact that a Lovecraftian movie came out and none of us knew it was going to be Lovecraftian. Uh, just still was a rad little surprise. So it's an easy to watch movie. It's entertaining. You don't have to, you know, put your thinking cap on much. You just enjoy it. And then there's some kick-ass monsters in it. So that's, uh, yeah, amazingly it stayed there. Uh, it doesn't take away from things that are above it, but, uh, just a lot of my list is going to be just how I connected with the movie and if I can rewatch it. So, uh, yeah, number 10 underwater. Dope. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually, I was just going to say, I think that one kind of came and went with less fanfare than it deserved. I don't know if it was because it was a January release. Maybe people weren't digging the premise going into it, but I thought, and it's a shame because by the time you get to the end of that movie with everything that happens, it's really something people should see on the big screen because of what ends up happening. It's a jelly underwater kaiju. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. What? And it suffered for sure from the the Twilight effect in that people still like talk shit about Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson when both of them have done really good work. Right? Yeah. Like, anybody who's you know between this and then Personal Shopper Twilight. from two, it's and people still post 
Twilight shit post all the time. It's like, dude, that was like 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Like, who cares anymore? So, yeah. yeah. That's how they got their start. And, yeah, they have proven themselves over and over and over again at this point. Yep. Yep. For sure. Exactly. Yeah, it's really a shame, too, that that movie came out. Like, it, it was basically the first release of 2020. And because of it, and if, if everybody remembers that January 2020 was a huge uh, month for theatrical horror. I mean, yeah. you know, between... Um, what else did we get? A Gretel and Hansel, The, the Turning, which... Uh, yeah. um, Colorado Space, uh, for me, anyway, was in January because it came out in theaters out here the last week of January. Yeah, so, The Grudge. Yeah, I, yeah Vinny, and, you forgot oh, the best God. one, The Grudge. Yeah, I, I did forget the best one. Didn't <laughs> I? Yes. Uh, mercifully, <laughs> I'd forgotten it. <laughs> well, what's funny is I remember you know, going into 2020, my... Uh, when I went, me and Venom were like looking at the schedule of theatrical releases. And for the at first, we were like, "When the hell are we ever going to get in like VOD stuff?" Because it seemed like every week there was theatrical releases for the first two months, and then of course the world changed. It's like, oh well, okay, I guess everything's going to be VOD now. But it just goes to show how quickly things can change. Yeah, Mike cursed us all oh, by saying, funny. "When are we going to be able to VOD?" <laughs> the universe was like, "Well, yeah, fuck you, that- we have VOD the rest of the year." <laughs> Except all these big ones you want to see, we'll just push those ones back. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> That's another all right, thing I actually next, wanted to say uh, about 2020 sure. before we move on is that despite all of the theatrical horror films that got delayed, you know, The Candyman's, Quiet Place 2, Spiral, uh, Spiral you know, just all these big release movies that were supposed to come out and got postponed a year, 2020 was still a spectacular year. I didn't 100%. actually comment on just the general quality on this year. This was still a great year. Yeah, it's not 2017 or 2018. I understand that. Mm. But to me, this year is on a par with 2019. I went back and looked at all my lists of everything I've watched on Letterboxd, and this year was way more solid than anybody gives it credit for. I totally agree. To to tip my hand on my actual top ten of the year, my top ten is all tens. I gave <laughs> I have stuff I have stuff that I gave ten out of ten to to make up an, for a top ten. And the only other year I've been able to do that with was 1981. Ooh, damn. I, Nin- oh. That's impressive. 1981 I, 1981, I have 15 films rated at 10 out of 10. This year, I've got 12. That's cool. according, to Tomatoes, yeah, according to Rotten Tomatoes, 1981 is um, technically the greatest year of horror as far as taking just all the movies that came out that year and taking their average tomato score. Yeah. Um, 1981 is the peak of horror, yeah. so that's, yeah, a, that's got, a bold statement. I've got, yeah. 50, yeah, for my personal, my personal stuff, I've got 15 films rated 10 out of 10 at from 1981. This for 2020, I've got 12. Nice. So yeah, um, I've actually got enough to go 10 across the board. <laughs> Very. That's cool. awesome. Good shit. Yeah. All right. All right. I think, uh, Scott's yeah. next, right? Yep. He is. Go ahead, Scott. All right. So, yeah, I will start off by talking about the year for me. Um, I've been lucky that I have uh, have a job where I work with a medical supply company, so I've pretty much been going to work every single day. Nothing has changed there. The only thing that changed there was that the company was so happy that I stayed because they gave voluntary layoffs to everybody, and I decided not to take it. And because I decided not to take it, they did not give a crap if I ended up watching movies while I was working. So I was able to knock out a ton of watches this year. Like, 
Last year for 2019 horror films, I made it to 50. For 2020 horror films, I hit 233. Jesus Christ. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, Damn. Heather and I also did a first time watches challenge for the, like, starting in February last year. Uh, yeah, last year now. And it was only watch first time horror films throughout the whole entire year. So counting 2020 and older films, I hit 502 films by the end of the year. Nice. And I've <clears throat> seen a lot of amazing films, but yeah, I will say 2020 is probably one of my favorite years of horror that I have experienced in quite a long time. Like, I didn't get to obviously have a chance to watch nearly as many films like I did this year compared to other years, but man, some of these films, especially like if you went digging and found some hidden gems, there were some incredible films out there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I'm going to bring up one of those hidden gems that Heather and I have talked about multiple times on our show, and that is Live Scream. Nice. This film is like, well, I think the most lowest budget film released this year, I think it was made for $6,000, and it was pretty much one character on the screen the entire time talking to a Twitch live stream chat, and he's pretty much just playing a video game that, if he dies, someone in the Twitch chat dies in real life. Damn. And so this guy carries the movie all by himself, and it is, like, so freaking heartbreaking and just, like, so emotional at the same time, and... I actually teared up by a certain character on this in just chat bubbles. I actually teared up just from reading text messages. And it was, yeah, one of the more incredible low-budget horror films I had seen this year. Yeah, yeah, really, really original. I thought it was uh, really well done utilizing Twitch. Because obviously everybody's already utilized Skype and Zoom and everything else. But to use uh, yet another streaming um, app to kind of center the story. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Scott. This was a great movie. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, I haven't even heard of it, so that's a good one to hear about. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this one was Mark Nato. I think Mark Nato had inter uh, told me about yeah. it, and I just jumped right on it. Yeah, same with me. Good shit, Scotty. Too hotty. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. I guess that goes to me now. Everyone gets the tomatoes. Nah, Twenty. Yeah. Everyone get, get the mad. eggs out. Get the eggs <laughs> out. Oh, there. Oh, there's going to be some anger probably with my tent pick. Maybe not anger, but some questioning. But uh, yeah, 2020. I mean, everyone has said mostly what there is to say about it. It it's kind of felt like two different worlds, at least where where I'm living out here with with lockdowns. I mean, the year started like any other year would. We were going to the theater like pretty much every week to see horror and what two and a half months in everything shut down VOD. I will say, you know, something that was kind of interesting. I mean, I guess one silver lining was there was like a lot of articles about like the supposed resurrection of the drive-in. Now I live in an area we, we have a drive-in that was operating anyway, but it was kind of cool that you were seeing uh, a lot of like you know middle budget or lower budget horror movies playing there that you wouldn't normally see. I remember like the Wretched was playing there, um, and every week it, it just seemed like whatever uh, was on VOD was also going to the drive-in. And I personally didn't get to utilize it as much just because you know family stuff, but. I, 
our driving here it's it's always heavily attended it's always been a big thing so you know i think that was kind of like a creative way to get some movies out there that might not normally get those theatrical releases um because you know if you're in your car or technically your social distance so what that's like i get good loophole to get movies into the theater so that is one kind of like silver lining is all the talk of like oh look at how much drivings are going to utilize hopefully that will stay i mean i don't know about uh, drivings in everyone else's city and we don't need to make this a big thing but mine has plenty of screens to where i feel like they could dedicate like one screen a week to like you know showing horror movies they could they could keep doing it if they wanted but i don't know we'll see I mean, we're not quite, the world's not quite back to normal yet anyway, so I'm sure for the time being we're going to keep getting more good showings. So hopefully that keeps up. With that, my number 10 is probably a movie that I think only me and Moods probably liked, who's not even here tonight, so he doesn't get to share in the glory of this. Some people might question how much of a horror movie is this versus sci fi. Um, I. Uh, Scott, I actually think you were on the show that we did the fresh cuts on. This is a very small cast in this movie. It's kind of just a movie that gets into the routine of life, the mundane. Um, it's almost like a meaning of life movie. What is there? Is this what all? Is this all there is to life? Uh, are you stuck stuck in a repetitious cycle until you die and you serve your purpose? Um, I am talking about the movie Vibarium. It's, uh, I would say it's eerie to me. It's, it's something that hits close to home. I got a family, anyone with a family, it doesn't necessarily, you, it doesn't mean you would necessarily agree with what the movie might be trying to say, but I still think it kind of hits you with the, yeah, I mean, there is a routine to life now, you know, married kids, all that kind of stuff. Your life is now dedicated to, something beyond yourself you, there's a lot of the spontaneity is gone so this movie hit close to me where i could totally understand why it wouldn't for other people in the same way but it stuck with me a long time after i watched it and uh i kept looking for ways to like maybe have it pushed off the list but at the end of the day i was like you know what it's gonna it's gonna be there so vivarium is my number 10 that is a great movie, and yeah, I was on that show, and yeah, because I think that's in my top twenty. If I actually did a top twenty list, because yeah, I I related to that one a lot. Yep, I love yeah. that one too. It's been it's been so long; it was hard to remember who liked it to what degree. I mean, it was a long time ago, but I remember like his moods saw it like way later than all of us and he's like i can't believe how much i liked it because I, I hate jesse eisenberg and this is like one of the only movies <laughs> so i was like all right there's one person out there that likes it but um cool yeah i i, I knew it was you know it might be controversial because it's i think it kind of teeters a lot on horror but there's i a lot of found the situation this year. Yeah. i'd I say vivarium is solidly horror i'm okay with that cool. yeah it's, it's not like baby. it's a dance movie or anything it's a little baby with red eyes no, no, legitimately. I, I, I did enjoy the movie from a technical aspect. I think it was beautifully made, beautifully scored, very well acted. I just wasn't a big fan of the story. And, you know, it could be because I'm not a parent. It could be because, you know, the, the, my wife and I have never really dealt with societal pressures to have children, buy a house, blah, blah, blah. It's never really been our thing. So I just didn't see... Um, 
I guess I just didn't empathize with the characters on the screen. And the other thing that I said about the movie when we reviewed it on Fresh Cuts is that it's a very joyless film. And I'm not a big fan of films like that. I've talked about it in the past. Um, I famously hate Darren Aronofsky's mother for the exact same reason. It's not that it's a bad movie. It's that it's a joyless movie. And and as far as from a personal level, no matter how dark or evil a movie comes off, there's still enjoyable factors to it. But then there's movies like Vivarium where the whole time I'm just frustrated for these two characters and I got just very little joy out of it. It's still a beautiful film. Um, You know, if I had to give it... an actual number rating it would be a very high rating because i do recognize the things that it does correctly but just on a personal level the story didn't really resonate with me as much as others but it's still a great film nice (laughs) dope all right well that that completes our round of 10 so uh venom it's back to you for number nine all right, my number nine, I just uh, finished my rewatch about an hour before we went to record this episode, and with that rewatch, it jumped into my number nine spot after being somewhere in like the 11 or 12 range for most of the year. And uh, this is, believe it or not, this is the only v- true VOD release on my top ten. My top ten consists of two Netflix movies, four Shutter movies, three, three uh, theatrical releases, and one VOD. And this is the VOD release. And the film in question, I've been calling 2020's Hereditary since the first time I saw it. It is uh, the latest film from the director of The Strangers and The Strangers Pray at Night, Brian Bertino which makes my number nine film of 2020, The Dark and the Wicked. This is a movie that I wasn't sure it was going to make my top ten, and I purposely kept it for my final rewatch because I wanted to give it every opportunity that it could. And watching it today, it just reminded me how dark this movie is. How And the title is perfect. I mean, you know, to, to not be too... Um, uh, pandering. I mean, I think the title is absolutely perfect. The shit that the entity does to this family throughout this film is just heartbreaking, uh, gut punching. Uh, there's a there's a scene at the end that I know Scott and Heather talked about on Friday Nightmares that actually won a horror award on their show. I believe it was for Gut Punch. And it is an absolute gut punch. I mean, you're so behind these characters, the brother and sister, you know, you feel for them. You're so behind them the entire movie. And then to see the brother's ultimate end, it's just, it's beyond heartbreaking. And I, and mind you, I don't have kids. If I had kids, that scene probably would have left me in fucking tears. But, you know, uh, because of my own personal life experience, uh, you know, I took it for what it was. I absolutely loved it. Uh, the only thing that really brought it down and kept it at my nine, my number nine position is the ending. I'm not a big fan of jump scare endings. I never have been. I feel like those can be avoided easily, but at the same time, when 99% of the movie is stellar, and I mean cinematography, direction, score, uh, this movie has my third favorite score of the year. Um, like I said, the performances, the, um, the gore is actually pretty good. You get some decent amount of gore. I mean, this is one of those movies that I know a lot of people are not as in love with as I am. And that's understandable. A lot of people can make claims about the pacing issues in the second act. 
of course, everyone who listens to my shows knows I am a fan of the slow burn, but I still have to recognize that there are long periods of time in this movie where not a whole lot happens. So, hence, it is at my number nine, once again, that is Brian Bertino's The Dark and the Wicked. Nice! Yeah, let's do this for slow ride. Take it <laughs> easy. Yeah. This movie was let's just so freaking good. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, let's just say I like the movie so much that you might hear the name again later. <laughs> it's like a Martin Fulci movie. <laughs> to an extent, yes, I can yeah. see that. It's like City of the Living Dead with the nightmare logic shit in it. It's crazy. I mean, it's got elements of Lovecraft in there with the unexplained antagonists. <clears throat> um, obviously, with the religious over or undertones, I should say, in the film, specifically one character. Um, some people might look at it as like a demonic. Uh, you know, or evil type presence. Um, but it's really up in the air on what you're looking at. Yes, they say the devil in the movie, but we get no confirmation about that. You know, uh, one character says the devil, you know, and that's about it. So I like the ambiguity of it. Um, but like I said, that jump scare ending, literally the only thing that kept this from getting a score higher than a nine. But yeah, still loved it. Hell yeah. Good shit, yo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go back to Dom for his number nine. All right. My number nine. Um, one of the reasons why I specifically wanted to do uh, Fresh Cuts per only is because of the, this very entry itself. Because I am going to have Puka Libs. <laughs> nice! Puka Libs. That's yeah. awesome. I... I absolutely loved everything about this. Um, it is everything that I look for. The creature effects are fantastic. The revolving storyline about how it's changing based on the internet claims is a spectacular highlight. I love the interplay between all of the characters. They're fun. They're engaging. You know, everything about him is just hilarious from the inner, the inner office personnel who's pranking him to all of the different little storylines between the friends all of this was just it, it worked for me and the big battle between all the pukas and the preacher at the end uh i had so much fun with this i cannot in good conscience call it a horror movie it's a tv show episode but, <laughs> but because it was covered on fresh cuts i wanted to include it in some reason so this was the reason why i put i decided to change to fresh cuts only because I wanted to get this out there some way and I, this was the reason for me to do it so yeah my number nine Puka Lives Puka Lives yep. that's absolutely yeah. the best one on the Into the Dark series from this year yeah it was super yeah. fun yeah, I mean, I still really, really enjoyed the movie, but I, I personally enjoyed the first one just a smidge better. And it's more because of its psychological factor. You know, they kind of played with time and space a little bit in the first one. The second one is a very different movie, and I can see why most people enjoy this more. It ramps up the gore. It ramps up the deaths. Uh, the different versions of Puka were all really entertaining and creepy looking. So, yeah, I definitely don't have any arguments with this one. But, you know, for whatever it's worth, just the kind of movie watcher I am, I, I enjoyed the first one a little bit more. But I also understand I'm in the minority there. So, no good. I, I'm actually... I, I, I told you when we did that show, I actually really liked it. Even mm -hmm. even though, you know, a lot of that was based on you selling me on 
Yeah, you saying that on the show, that really solidified a lot of what I was thinking about because that cleared up almost most of the flaws that I had with the with the first segment. Exactly. So yeah, I, I, I'm i a huge fan of... I actually really came away from that one really liking because of what you said. So it's not that Which, I really... Yeah, I really dislike... I really dislike it. It's just I... For me, it's one of those weird things where what they what they took out of it to replace in this one are factors that appeal to me more. So, mm-hmm. I was yeah. actually really, really surprised that of all the different shows that I heard Puka get reviewed on, no <laughs> one made that connection to A Christmas Carol. And I thought it was fairly yeah. obvious that it, it was basically Puka was the spirit of Christmas past in that yeah. movie. It was, it was basically the first third of A Christmas Carol. And, you know, and that's why I was really looking forward to Puka Lives, because I thought maybe they were going to continue that. But, you know, they went on a different path, and I'm okay with it. They made it more of a true creature feature, and I'm totally fine with that. But, yeah, uh, the Christmas Carol allegory in the first one just really did it for yeah. me. Yeah, I'm, I actually was going to say, I, I actually enjoy Puka, the first one, more, too. It makes sense because I actually like the director of that movies. He did Time Crimes and Colossus, the director of Puka, the first nice. one. So it makes sense why his version of that is like that because he always adds allegories into his films. Mm-hmm. Like Colossus is about domestic abuse in a relationship, you know? Right. Kaiju movie. So it's like crazy in that aspect. But. I, I I do enjoy Puka Lives too because it's different. I enjoy them both for being different, mm-hmm. different aspects. Absolutely. Yeah, two really good entries into the uh, into the dark uh, series on Hulu, which apparently is on a little bit of a hiatus. Obviously, with COVID, they haven't been able to film a new episode. So, but there have, w- there are no plans of canceling it. So it will be back once this stupid virus is gone. <laughs> nice. And I look forward to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same here. Um, I, I wasn't. Even though um, it wasn't covered, but um, My Valentine would have been one of the worst of the year. That was, like, really the only <laughs> one that I really disliked. <laughs> yeah. All Good right, shit. let's see. Uh, Derek, we're up to Derek. Derek's up. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm the best co-host ever. <laughs> uh, you know. My number nine, actually, is a movie that Venom reviewed on the last... I think it was the last episode of No More Room in Hell... And it made me want to check it out because all I heard was shitty reviews of this movie until Venom talked about it, and that is the Beach House. Nice. I really dug it. It's it's nice. kind of like a low key color out of the space style of Lovecraftian story, where you know this young couple who's going through like the, their little rocky problems are going to like the boyfriend's like summer family beach house. But they didn't know that this older couple was going to chill there. Like these old, like hippie stoner guys. One played by like Jake Weber from. It's kind of funny because it kind of goes into like the, the Dawn of the Dead remake that he appeared into with this movie. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool to see that aspect of it. And you know, it's kind of funny the dynamic of the older couple hanging with the younger couple. And you know, like hey, let's do some <laughs> acid. And the girl, ladies like tripping shit. <laughs> And then all hell breaks loose, and then you get, like, these creatures that come on the land, and these parasites, and, oh, my God, when she takes those fucking huge pliers and pulls that Oh, one out. of the most uncomfortable scenes I've ever mm-hmm. had to sit through. 
And yeah, I, 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 I always feel uh, weird when I see people like foot stuff. I don't know why foot stuff bothers me. Like misery, M- misery's hobbling is one of the most awful things I've ever fucking seen. And I don't know why. It's not like I have weak ankles or weak feet or anything, but something about t- foot torture in horror films really gets to me. So yeah, it worked for me. Yeah. And you know, I just like how this one plays out because the, the thing that I, there's an ongoing theme with 2020 movies, not really many happy endings in a lot of the 2020 movies. And I'm all, and I'm all good for that. You know, you know, I like fucking down randoms for the most part, you know, it's, it's, they, they just bitch out on them the most like movies in recent years. And I'm so happy that this one ends in like a fucking downer. You know, it's like yeah. no one lives. You could have done another theme warriors episode with most of the 2020 movies. Like, invent. <laughs> Oh, like, you know, everyone dies. Every- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looking at my list I, of the 10 on here, I think only two of them have something that you would call a happy ending. They're not really happy so much as just the terror is over type situation. But yeah, uh, I, I do love the more gloomy horror films. You know, I, I hate watching, especially zombie films. Zombie films is the big one. Zombie films can't end with a happy ending, they just can't. I you know. Um, is so it? fuck World War Z forever, fucking forever. <laughs> not, the, not the book, mind you, just the movie, because the yeah. book is brilliant. But uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely like the uh, more downer endings for horror films as well. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you had this one, Derek, because I I didn't understand like the shitty reviews of this at all, dude. I loved it. Nick genuinely creeped me out too in some of those parts. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear some love for it. Yeah, it had like homages to like the fog and you know like co- the crazies too, like the the contagion of it. it. It had like that feel, and even like Night of the Living Dead with the siege narrative mm-hmm. where they're locking themselves in. It had a mixture of all things that came before, but they did it right with it. And it's a small, compact movie because it takes place in this one area. If it was like expanded like throughout like a whole town or something like fucking and we saw everything then it would probably fucking overblow it but i like that it's a, a small cast small characters and just dwells into the story you know yeah yeah no this is definitely yeah, an underappreciated film um it's definitely a little bit more subdued than what most people you know would consider a fun horror film but yeah just you know once i know that it's got even in any kind of element of Lovecraft in there, I am absolutely sold. Yep, same and, here. Uh, yeah, um, I felt the same way about uh, the Beach House that I did about Sea Fever. I thought both movies were just very subdued, quiet horror, isolated location. Obviously, Sea Fever takes place on a fishing vessel. Um, this one takes place on a beach house. Duh. Um, so yeah, uh, both of those movies this year, though neither one made my top ten, those were both really impressive uh, pieces of art for the year. Hell yeah! Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Brandon, Brandon is up Brandon. for his number nine. All right. Uh, so I this next one, my number nine. I was kind of talking shit about in our fresh cuts chat because I was getting so frustrated while I was watching it. Because uh, the lead character, the decisions she was making were pissing me off, and it just was driving me crazy. Uh, but this movie, it definitely like, God, it could have gone so much darker, but it definitely had like an uncomfortable, unpleasant feel to it, and uh, kind of a grimy feel. And that is alone. Uh, 
Man, I this one I you know again I just watched this so this was me playing catch up on just a couple that I wanted to finish. Um, and dude, yeah, it's it's dark, it's grimy. The the main character is like a gross dude, and it's uh, I don't know it it definitely kind of has a, a feel to it that it's just nasty. Um, I wish that it kind of I don't know I felt like it spent so much time just you know with her driving and then this dude following her, which I know adds to it, but. I could have taken a little more time for this dude to be a little more screwed up and do more terrible things. Uh, but I, man, I really liked it. It's uh yeah, obviously it's my number nine. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's alone. That's a, a good movie. great movie. And it's the best alone out of the three alone movies that came out this year. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I just found it super yeah. generic. It, I, I, it, to me, it was just run of, really reminiscent of like four or five other films that came out this very year. So, hmm. yeah, it, it's it's well made for what it is, but I just found it incredibly generic because there's four or five other films released the same year that have this same exact plot line. So, no, that's cool. That, I mean, that's what's fun about film, though, right? Is the subjectivity of it. Like, you know, when Jerry, you were talking about uh the dark and the wicked. I felt that dark and the wicked was super generic. I felt like it was like a, like a really an even better made James Wan film. Like it just felt like kind of paint by numbers, but way better made, but that's kind of how it felt. So, but that's the fun thing about movies, right? So we, we're going to view them all differently. So I dig mm-hmm. that. Hell yeah. I already hate all 10 of Mike's movies. So yeah, <laughs> I just hate them because of their mics. <laughs> even, if, even if they're on my list, then I'll still hate them. Which list? Mike's list. You know, they're on my list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Scott, you're up for number nine. All right. My number nine may be a controversial one because I've gotten into arguments on pe- with people on whether this is considered horror or not. Uh-oh. But it is definitely much more of a coming of age, teenage love story. Uh, with just lots is. of blood. Oh, and it's damn on, it, Scott. I know what it is. <laughs> it's spontaneous. Perks of being a wallflower would explode in people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty I was, much. Like, I was going to mention that, too, because I have it on my list, Derek. I was going to mention that for you. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely loved this movie. I was so behind the characters. Um, it is such a just well-made, well-directed, well-acted film. And another one that just kind of made me tear up, like crying like a baby towards the end. It was just so heartbreaking. But the reason I call this a horror film is it's kind of like a metaphor for what students deal with during like horrible events like that happen in high school, like school shootings and whatnot. Yeah. And it is just like, especially I think it was during like the second act, there is a thing where the, the explosions happen like crazy and it is just like one after another. And it's just that you see everybody running in terror and it's just so heartbreaking because you don't know who's next and who's going to survive this. <laughs> Can I go first? Cause I wanted to state something. Okay. I'm going to be, yeah, you know, it's, I, I felt bad because I actually, you know, somebody recommended this film to me. I'm not going to name any names. I'm going to keep them controversial and private. And I went back after I watched it and told her I didn't think it was a horror movie. I felt bad after because I, I got into, like, well, Perks of War, you know, Wallflower is a dark comedy, too, you know? And I felt bad after I did that. Whatever you think is considered horror, I don't care. 
I enjoy it. I actually really like the movie too. I'm not one of the haters like Mike over here. <laughs> we actually hated the movie. I actually liked it for what it was. The thing is, it wasn't just horror enough for me to add it to a horror list, which is sucks. If it was, if I did a show on Cinema Attack, it would be probably very high up for me. You know, in that sense, it's just it wasn't. It just didn't come off as a horror film to me the way it was. The story was told, but I do get like with the exploding. I, I could see it being added to a list too, in that sense. So whoever that person's out there, you rock and you put whatever the fuck you want on your list. But <laughs> I will. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've said that for years. If if something is horror enough for you, then rock on, do it. I mean, I can't tell you how many podcasters I listened to last year that had a certain dance movie in their top 10 that I personally did not find to be horror. Um, And I've said it multiple times. I've said anybody who thinks that movie is horror has probably never done acid in their life because anybody who's done acid even more than once thinks that movie is more of a comedy, but Oh, it's definitely because I have done acid and I still had it in my, I think it was my top five last year. Yeah, I had it in my top ten, and I've I've done yep. my share of yeah. Because uh, I think all three of us were on the horror cast when we talked yep. about it. <laughs> yep. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I watch it, and it's like I, I just I don't see the horror myself. But again, uh, my whole point was again these are our lists. If you want to put you want to put Toy Story four on your top ten horror uh, list, rock on, dude. If you find the <laughs> horror in that, then do it. But yeah, I will not. I, for the most part, totally. I won't give anybody shit for putting a movie on that I don't think is horror in their top ten horror uh, unless their name is JP. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, then it's just a given. And the thing is, you know, I actually really felt bad when I did that to that person because you know they recommended it and they thought I didn't like the movie and you know I was sort of annoyed that it was. For kind of fringe horror, they would say. Yeah, they were, but I didn't, and I was just—I didn't want to lie to them either. You know what I mean? No, obviously not. Yeah. yeah, and this is definitely a year for fringe horror. There is a lot of that out there. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, that leaves us with Mike. Your number nine. All right. So originally, this was going to be number ten on the list. It moved up, and it was going to be between this and something else. Um, it was, uh, between this and Uncaged, which I believe was mentioned already. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'll say it was the battle between man and beast for which pick this was going to end up being. And surprisingly, man won out. Although this man was crazy, insane throughout the whole movie. What really tipped it. It was like, once things got going and it happened relatively soon, it didn't let up. I know there's going to be people out there that would probably label this thriller over horror, but, I mean, the events that took place in this movie, the things that happened, the unrelenting uh, pursuit, uh, once things get started, and the pace of the movie, the way it just flies by, uh, probably one of the biggest actors, or well-known actors, out of any movie on my list now that I'm looking it over. Um, and I, honestly, like it took me a while to watch this one because I knew about it, but it wasn't necessarily on my radar until I started hearing people talk about it. And it was one of those, like, what, it, it was the reaction of, like, why aren't more people watching this? Because it's actually pretty damn entertaining. And uh, that would be unhinged with Russell Crowe. Raymond Burr. I I didn't expect to like this as much as I did. I mean, even when it started and like the conflict between them 
you know, first happened, like I didn't expect it to get like brutal as it did. Russell Crowe's character in this man, I mean, talk about having a bad day, and it just <laughs> goes from do you want a oh, bad to what worse. Do you oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, what makes it what puts it over the edge of a thriller is just how over the top it gets. I mean, it, the things he starts doing to antagonize um, the female lead is just like so crazy by the end of it and i just had a blast with it it like i said for anyone who hasn't seen it i mean it, it it's a quick watch it just it's paced so well that it's over before we even know it not that it it's not like any type of abrupt ending or anything but it's just because it just it, it just feels like a quick time but yeah i had a lot of fun with this and i had to find a place for all my lists so there we are unhinged number nine and this one was uh, my one and only drive-in experience this summer. Uh, oh, nice! Before the theaters re- before theaters reopened here, I was like, "All right, I'm." I heard uh, my theater was playing Unhinged with uh, what was it, uh, Bill and Ted Part Three. I'm going. That's a weird combination, <laughs> but screw it. I'm going to go see both. <laughs> it is, but I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I had good fun. movies. Yeah. Bill and Ted, hell yeah. <laughs> Bill and Ted, Mike's number nine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bonus number hey, nine. Hey, man, Beth is in that movie. It has to be a horror movie, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I am Dennis Cable McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's take it back swing to it back to middle. Right? All right. Yep, so, my number eight. This will be the second of the two Netflix films that I have on my list, and this is also the first of six foreign films in my top ten. Anybody who's listened to my top tens over the years knows I absolutely love foreign horror. I you know, I tend to gravitate towards Korean, Spanish, Mexican, German, all sorts of different foreign horror films. I actually don't mind reading subtitles. I prefer to watch the movie in its original language, so when they offer it with subtitles, it's always a treat for me. This is a movie that didn't really get a lot of talk when it came out. I raved about it on Fresh Cuts, and even one or two of my co-hosts on that episode weren't as high about it. And I fully admit that this is a film that you know doesn't really break the mold. It's not the most original film. It's just you know your basic haunted house slash curse type story, um, but just the performances in it, the cinematography specifically for me really worked giving the house, which isn't really all that menacing looking a house, still giving it a sense of menace based on how they were able to shoot it. And based on the score that's playing during certain scenes, blah, blah, blah. This is of course a Spanish film. So obviously I'm going to be biased and I'll fully admit that I have no problem with it. And even though this is a movie that wasn't really as discussed as much as I wish it would have been, it is uh, easily my favorite Spanish horror film of the year, and that is Don't Listen, also known as Voces, which, for anybody who doesn't know, is the Spanish word for voices, which I really wish they would have used as the American title as well, because Don't Listen, that's another thing, is Don't Listen doesn't really fit that well as a title, because it's not like you have the choice to not listen to the voices, you know, ultimately, you you know, unless you're stuffing cotton in your ears constantly, you're going to hear these voices, there's nothing you can do about it, but yeah, this movie worked so well for me, I mean, you know, any movie that has the balls to kill a child in the first act, I'm right there with it, 
um, you know, break that taboo right away. We get some great set pieces, some really cool gore. The very first death in it is just a great impalement on a tree branch that looks so fucking gnarly. And the fact that they show the woman still alive and then actually showing her take her final breath, just, ah, it hit me so hard. And that was just the cold open of the film. So, um, like I said, I know this one, you know, wasn't nearly as loved by others as it was by me, but this one, this one had another gut punch ending, you know, with yet another suicide at the very end of the film that just left me absolutely broken because, it, it it sucks because all of the people that died in this film, not a one of them deserved it. They all innocent, good people, you know, and, and that's always a hard pill to swallow when you watch a film like this. So, yeah, you know, despite me probably being one of the only people that's going to mention it today, uh, Don't Listen is my number eight of 2020. Don't listen. Excellent. Don't listen to Mike. Don't listen yeah. to Mike. <laughs> I'll actually listen to this pick because it's good. I, yeah, I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed this movie. Like though, I, I I definitely am not as high on it as you were, but like yeah, I uh, this is like Netflix killed it with a lot of the uh, international films this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of stuff on that that you know that Netflix did that's not on my list. You know, the the Bridge Curse and the Call and uh, other stuff like you know other foreign films like that that really really worked for me but i just you know i can only pick 10 so i got right with my there can only be 10 yes. highlander <laughs> there can only be <laughs> oh good shit all right uh we are on donnie what is your number nine? Oh. Oh, eight. Uh, excuse me. number eight. eight yeah eight so once again i'm going foreign and unlike venom i'm actually going to another european locale i'm headed to the absolutely shady sh- shady dealings in Bulgaria with the Belgian <laughs> yummy. Nice. Uh, I absolutely fucking love this movie. Um, yeah, well, I'm a zombie fanatic. Um, uh, probably to the point of uh, being a favoritist to these films. So, yeah. Um, the special effects display that I absolutely just enjoyed. Uh, the gore was fantastic the just humor was there for me i understand where venom is coming from you know when we did the fresh cuts episode i saw what he was coming from Mm -hmm. but yeah not enough to distract from how much fun i had with it um even one of those i actually love the dark ending to it i'm not a huge fan of that style but yeah this was one of the few dark endings that actually worked for me um just yeah uh, you know Zombie fun, tons of gore, appropriate nudity, just an absolute blast. And yeah, yeah. dude, dude, it's an amazing the, dick trauma. Dude, oh, when that guy, when, that guy got, when, when his like, dick was burned, I uh, started catching on fire and started dying. No, I was, oh my god, <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, this was a yeah, this was a pretty good year for dick trauma. We had yeah. porno. Oh man! Oh, that was so rough. Yeah, god damn it. No, yeah, I don't know. It seems like collectively filmmakers just you know wanted to uh, emasculate all of us and make us feel pain. <laughs> so yeah, they did it. So good job. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with Don. I still do enjoy Yummy, and anybody who listened to the Fresh Cuts episode remembers that I had some problem with some of the characterizations in the film. The, the main female lead really bothered me with the way that she was treating her fiancé and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the ending, which was a very oh-shit ending... Um, especially because, you know, a character that I didn't like ended up being responsible for the the death of my favorite character in the film. So it's just one of those things where, you know, there's little bits of writing and characterization that didn't work for me. But ultimately, I agree with everything else Don said. Great set pieces, great gore. Um, The the half zombie I thought was very entertaining. The female half zombie that's Mm -hmm. on the poster. I loved her. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I love the progression, how the virus kind of spread and went through the hospital facility, whatever it is. Um, yeah, for the most part, I really, really liked that movie. But the only thing that really kept it off the top 10 regard, like I said, was just some of its writing and some of its characters. But yeah, overall, I can't I can't disagree with Don. Very fun movie. Very gory. Definitely a good movie, like a Saturday night movie with some friends and some beers. Just really, really fun. Yeah, and you can't forget about the very cute CGI lizard frog looking thing that was there for some strange reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. At one yeah. point that they just left dangling. Gro- yeah. Grogu from fucking Mandalorian was there. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, it was a Grogu spore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guess it's up to me next. Uh Derek, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done Mic drop. Good pick, Don, by the way. Yeah. You know, and my number eight is a film from South Korea because South Korea is fucking awesome, and that is Monstrum. Nice. I fucking love this movie. Like, I won this movie from Moods because he, you know, he did like that thing on his YouTube channel where he'd find me the picture of me and all my thumbnails, and I did, and I he picked me up Monstrum. Watch the shit. It's fucking awesome. I love the the set designs of all the areas. It looks very authenticated. And the monster itself is fucking awesome. It's a giant fucking kitty cat. And I love the little cute ver- I like the baby version, too. I want to pet him and shit. Oh, the baby version was adorable. He looked like right? a little bulldog. Ah, I love them. A little cat bulldog. It was so cute. I wanted yeah. to pet cuddle with it, you know. And I felt bad because it's kind of sad when you, you've realized that and that's what he grew into and shit. It's kind of sad in that aspect of the movie. I kind of feel bad for him. And just yeah. the whole fucking end fucking... Carnage is fucking amazing. And the main, like, not the main, like, few guys who's trying to get into the, uh, you know, the Emperor's chair, but the guy mm-hmm. that's working underneath him. I love that guy. I, he always plays a great fucking asshole. And it's great. Oh, the Prime that, Minister? Not the Prime Minister, the other guy that won, the guy that they fight at the end. Oh, okay, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, he always plays a great dick, that dude. He was in the South Korean crime movie New World, and he was a dick in that, too. It's fucking great. I like the drama. And it has the, like, the scene of the year where I'm, like, questioning, how the fuck did that happen? And then they show you at the end, and, you know, even I, I'll fucking quote Venom. I stood up and cheered and clapped. I did. I, I will fully admit it. I mean, because... This director did such a great job to give us that first ending and make everybody who's even slightly cynical just start yelling, fuck that, there's no way he could survive that, that's bullshit. And then to give us that final closing scene, the epitaph, if you will, was basically the director just go flipping his middle finger and saying, see, there is a way he could have survived, you bitches. And I fucking, I legitimately, and like I said on the show, I fucking stood up and applauded my TV. I'm like, that was brilliant. 
You know? Oh I yeah, like, I mean, I I even said it on the show. I was ready to descri- to write out this whole huge fucking diagram on in my review about it because of what was going on. I had to completely delete it because of what went on, and I wasted all that time writing about <laughs> the ending because I had a diatribe prepared that would have absolutely crushed the movie. <laughs> but instead of what happened, I'm like, oh wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Anybody who hasn't seen Monstrum, yeah, check it out on Shutter. It, it is a great creature feature. It's a little on the long side. It's almost two hours, and there is you know some political espionage elements to it as well. But yeah, the the creature looks great. Uh, the um, and honestly, I mean, the re- this movie, the cinematography is gorgeous. All yeah. of the non horror scenes in this movie are literal works of art. Any shot inside of the king's chamber in what they call it, June Hall, any of those shots were just beautiful. You could have put them up in a, uh, in a, on a frame and put it up on your wall. Um, yeah. I just couldn't get over how all the non-horror looked great. But then when you actually got to the horror and it was all gritty and dirty and raining, most of the scenes it was raining, everybody's muddy and dirty, and, and especially when they were in Monstrum's uh, little pit, if you will. Yeah, his little zoo area. Amazing. Fucking good. Ah, so good. Yeah. Yeah, this is just one of those films where I watched it and went, holy shit, a period piece (laughs) monster movie. I am freaking sold. (laughs) Take itself serious. You you know, it can have CGI as long as they take itself serious. It doesn't bother me. Yep. Yes, exactly. There's a couple of scenes. I mentioned it on Fresh Cuts. There's a couple of scenes where I didn't like the way that they lit the monster. Specifically, there's a couple of nighttime scenes in the courtyard of the of the palace that I, I didn't like the way he was lit because it didn't look like he was a, a living, breathing creature yeah. in that world. He kind of looked like he was a copy-paste creature. But it only happens a couple of times. And like I said, since 95% of the time we see the monster, it looks great. I can give a pass to those couple of poorly lit scenes. So, yeah, great creature feature. One of my favorite creature features of the year. Dope. All right, nice. we are on Brandon, number eight. All right, number eight. Uh, uh, I'm going to another exotic location for my next movie, uh, and that exotic location is my hometown of Denver, and uh, Denver <laughs> and Aurora, Colorado. Um, this, uh, this is one that I just kind of heard of in passing, and I was fully blown away by it. I think uh, the lead character in it maybe has my performance of the year in what he did and a movie that reinforces to me that Will Wheaton is a dick and that is rent a pal. Yeah. Uh, Will Wheaton is a piece of shit in that movie. Oh my Wanted God. To punch his face so hard. Uh, dude, I like, you know, it's funny, like, I didn't know that this movie was actually a local film. Uh, and until I posted that, I watched it. And then my buddy Kyle was like, he's like, Oh yeah, I'm friends with all those guys. Like I've known him for 20 years. Um, and you know, of course, as they're they're talking about different locations in Denver, and then I realized that that guy works at the Denver Center, which I performed at a couple times back when I did theater. So, uh, it, just one having the super cool local connection, but just being blown away by that that lead man, he just kills it. He's so good, and he's so sympathetic at the beginning. Like you're just rooting for him, and when he's recording his initial video and he does the version that's too long, but it's so good. And it's like you really want that guy to win, and then you're just slowly seeing him fall apart throughout the rest of the movie. It's because and, uh, of fucking Will Wheaton. Yeah, Will Wheaton. Yeah, screw that guy. So uh, 
Yeah, man, I uh, I loved Ren and Pal. I I know it's getting a physical release fairly soon too. I think from Scream Factory is going to put that out, so I'll be buying that for sure. But uh, yeah, man, Ren and Pal, I loved it. So that's my number eight. Good shit. Had a great had a great that, build to it too. Yeah, that movie reminded me a lot of started a little subtle. Yeah. As they I reminded me a lot of Meg, because of like the you feel so sympathetic for the main character. I I feel like that's a lot of my list this year. Uh, where normally I do go for like the darker, dreary, more nihilistic stuff. This year for me, it was kind of about like finding a character and some heart that you could connect to, and that you know that was this guy in this movie, and then the you know the girl he meets, and uh, so a lot of my movies kind of have that feeling of like, man, you really want them to something good to happen, and it doesn't always happen, and that's kind of a unique thing for me. Yeah, for sure, it's a great movie. All right, let's go to Scott. All right, so my number eight was a Shutter exclusive that I figured was going to be fun. I had no idea that I was just going to like enjoy it as much as I did. But I, before I even say the title, I just have to say that if they ever do a Phantasm remake, we have our new tall man. And that is Clancy <laughs> Brown in Mortuary Collection. Mr. Krabs. Our- oh, my God. God, this, like, the wraparound story with him, right off the bat, like, when you're doing a horror anthology, wraparound stories are almost mm-hmm. always not that great. There's only a few that really hit it. And this is one of them that just nails it out of the park, and then each individual story in this is either fun or just kind of messed up and has, like, a kind of a twist at the end that I did not see coming. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> I, yeah, this is just one of those where I just had to put it in my top ten because I just had so much fun with it, and like I was like a, a grin from ear to ear when Clancy Brown was on the screen. Like it was just made me so happy to see him and just doing it his version of Tall Man, which is great. Dude, <laughs> Where's the money? It's rad that he. I mean, he was in a couple really good movies this year too. So I mean, with this and Promising Young Woman, so it's cool to see him getting some love right now. Yeah, I always loved him since Highlander. Yep, same here. Oh yeah, it's, he's a great actor. It's a great fucking movie. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't say enough good things about the Mortuary Collection. In fact, as of a couple of weeks ago, that and Scare Package were both in my top ten. But after rewatches, it's just you know the, the ten movies that I ended up picking. Just I felt like they were head and shoulders better. There was one particular story in Mortuary Collection that didn't really resonate with me. It was the one about the guy with his dying wife in the elevator. Um, oh yeah. It, it, it's a visual feast. I will admit that it's very well made, great score, good performances, but it just kind of left me scratching my head to the point where I wasn't 100% sure what I had just seen. Um, and then I know a lot of people complained about the first segment, but the first segment's one of my favorites in the whole movie. Um, right, same you know, here. It's, it's, it's Lovecraftian. I know a lot of people were pissed off that it was so short and that they don't explain everything, but hey, folks... Lovecraftian horror does not need to be explained. That's the whole point of it. It's supposed yeah. to make us feel small. It's supposed to make us question our place in the universe. And, you know, this that one little segment really did a lot for me. I mean, just watching that woman in the bathroom, looking over her hall, her pickpocket hall for the evening, and then running into the creature in the uh, medicine cabinet, just absolutely loved it, resonated with me. The style, it was so colorful, 
Um, it was very obviously shot or, or, or set, excuse me, not shot, uh, set in like the 50s or 60s. Everything's very colorful, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, a lot about the Mortuary Collection really worked for me. I totally agree with you on the wraparound. Um, absolutely love Clancy. Uh, I loved the person who ended up being the actual antagonist of the film, if you will. Um, yeah, I, there's not, I can't say enough good things about it. It's just, this is one of the first years I do not have an anthology on my list and I am a huge anthology guy. So that's saying a lot about the rest of the movies that came out this year, but yeah, Mortuary Collection. Awesome. Yeah. yeah good one shit. of my favorites. I agree with it. Always got to have room for an anthology on your list, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. For me, number eight, this is a movie that was already brought up and looks like it was from Brandon. His number nine is my number eight, and that would be Alone. Interesting thing about this movie is, you know, five, ten minutes into it, I wasn't expecting much. It seemed like a very simple premise. You know, this guy's going to kind of chase her on our way to her destination, kind of like an obsession thing going. But what really, you know, improved my uh, score or just uh, thoughts on the movie was just the performances. They were really good. Uh, There's a couple scenes to me that stand out. One is the uh, scene where she runs into, I believe it's a hunter and, you know, she's kind of convincing him, okay, I need your help, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, the, uh, the bad guy shows up. And he's able to steer the conversation and convince him that, oh, it's my sister. She's not mentally right. Just the way that scene goes down, it's very chilling. Uh, The way the hunter kind of like is unsure of what to do and the tension it creates. And the other scene that really hit home with me was a little bit later in the movie. It's dark. She has kind of like semi escaped from him and she's kind of hiding out. He just goes into this long tirade slash monologue just it's very like insulting degrading and it's just like damn dude like to me that's the kind of performance you want in these kind of movies where you know it's a small cast everything is kind of on their shoulders to make it work and uh that the guy for people who have seen the show ozark he was in the first season um he played one of the you know one of the family members that lived in the ozark um region but um he just knocked it out of the park i i think this is the movie without the these performances it would have been more like what don said because i think you know the premise of it is nothing special but when you get these performances out of the people it can really elevate a movie and it just it kept me intrigued and interested to see how things were going to turn out so and this was probably one of the later watches in the year uh for me too so it it, it had that much of an impact to sneak onto my list so i didn't want to say too much is because we talked about it some already but alone is my number eight alone the heart song that starts playing by heart <laughs> <laughs> How do I get you alone? <laughs> <Ace Heart. laughs> oh God! All right, all right. All right so man. we're back around to me yep. for number seven. Uh, my number seven film is another Shutter film from the year. Uh, once again, another foreign film. It is the only Indonesian film on my list. Um, this is a film. 
directed by Joko Anwar, um, who a lot of people will remember from Satan's Slaves fame. And part of me, I'm not literally saying that I put this in my top 10 to make up for anything, but I mean, part of me feels like I owed this to him because Satan's Slaves was not in my top 10 that year. And I completely and 100 percent. Um, am ashamed of that. Uh, in years, in the years since that movie has come out, I've watched it multiple times, and I realized that Satan Slaves is absolutely fucking brilliant. It is a beautiful film, absolutely terrifying. I loved every second of it. Why it didn't make my top ten that year? Uh, about the only excuse I probably have is drugs. So sorry, folks, and sorry to Joko Anwar. But this movie, once again, is a you know curse film. Um, set in an Indonesian village, you know, very away from the cities and, and you know, things like that. Um, the movie has some really great gore. We got some great skinning sequences. We got um, we got some great culture in there, too, watching, like, these, these people that were called puppet masters um, who basically oh, were doing shadow puppets, shadow puppet shows. Um, going from village to village and becoming, you know, getting their name out there as famous puppet masters. Um, but anyway, this film, like I said, I just absolutely loved it. And this is, of course, Impetigor. And yes, folks, I am absolutely pronouncing that correctly. It is not Impetigor, as pretty much every fucking podcaster I've heard pronounce it. <laughs> uh, including Mike. Including Mike. <laughs> including Mike. Fucking Mike. But Life anyway, sucks. just uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, impetigor is a wordplay on a, on the real-life skin condition impetigo. Um, go ahead and Google it. It's called impetigo. It's a skin condition that actually will make parts of a person's skin kind of fall off. It's oh. a temporary uh, condition. It's not um, terminal or anything. It usually only lasts a couple of weeks. It's basically a skin infection. Um, and I am pretty much the master of skin infections, as uh, Mike and other of my co-hosts can tell you. So, um, yeah, I love this film so much. The way that they set up the curse in the village um, with basically all the children being born with no skin. Just absolutely terrifying. Um, obviously, I had some issues with the movies when we re when we reviewed it on Fresh Cuts, like kind of logic things, like why don't these people just leave? Or why don't they spread their seed? Like, why are they only intermingling with people from the village? If the village is cursed, then why don't you go screw somebody from another village? Maybe you'll stop the curse. I don't know. Um, but like I said, there were like little logic things like that that I brought up on Fresh Cuts that maybe prevented me from giving it like a perfect score. But ultimately, I rewatched it this week. Amazing performances, you know, a great cinematography, beautiful score. You know, most of the movie takes place in the country. So, of course, you've got these beautiful wooded areas. And then whenever they actually show the scenes of the puppet masters uh, doing their craft, um, they're, they're beautifully shot, beautifully um, scored with the live artists and the female singer they're singing with them so yeah um again i can't say enough good things about this film and this director so yeah i will definitely be on the lookout for anything with joko arnoir's name on it and uh yeah uh, it's about as much as i can say without going off on a tirade so yeah my number seven impetigor all, all i gotta say is when you said impetigo i was like impetigo come on pretty mama <laughs> Why don't we go <laughs> get our skin taken off? 
at Imitigo, yeah. Ah, uh, good times. Yeah, this was a great movie. Yep, cool movie. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. movie. One of my favorites. <laughs> I'm sure oh, we'll be talking about be it. A, but... Yeah, I know. Could that be a preview for later? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, All right, Don, let's hear your number seven. All right. My number seven, um, we're in Asia, but uh, we're in South Korea for uh, probably one of my favorite favorite Asian horror films of the year, Metamorphosis. Nice. I I fucking love this movie. Um, It's probably a little bit uh, cliched, and it follows a lot of American rites of of exorcism, which I'm not entirely sure sure are common in in uh, South Korea, especially since uh, Divine Fury kind of went a little unconventional with the same subject matter. Just mm-hmm. So I'm not entirely sure if uh, I think that's probably one of the reasons why, but beyond that, this movie was just an absolute blast. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this, um, if we are rating individual scenes, um, I would probably say that this has my favorite scene of the year and it is a just absolutely brutal and harrowing 10 minute long sequence where nobody is w- safe from the possessed yeah. just it bounces around from individual to individual and nobody is safe nobody can trust anybody and it pulls it off pitch perfect to the T perfectly mm-hmm. and it, the the I'm just uh, maybe just a tad too long for some because I think I said on the show that if you clock this in at 145, this is top five of the year. And I think that's still the case. I think it's still just a touch too long. Maybe some of that is uh, over familiarity with some of the normal American rights and passages. But yeah, this is just an absolute blast. One of, if not, like I said, my favorite film of the favorite scene of the year. And just, you know, it may not be my favorite. It's not my favorite Asian horror film of the year, but it's my favorite Asian horror film that we covered on Fresh Cuts. So for me, I had to include it. This was an absolute no doubter. And I think this is on my this is where we start on on my actual list for the end of the year, because like I said, this is this list I'm counting down is only Fresh Cuts exclusives. So. Oh yeah, as of right now, this is on my top ten of the year, and for good reason. This is definitely worth worth seeing if you haven't. So, mm-hmm. anyone I, who's I, go ahead. I was just gonna say, um, this is my favorite Asian horror film of the year. It's actually my favorite foreign horror film of the year, regardless of country. Absolutely love this. So, I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about it again. <laughs> yes, we'll all be talking about it again. Yeah, this one is one of those where I have to say, like, it's probably one of the better exorcism films I have seen in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next up, Derek. All right. You ready? Because we're going to get into some Nick Cage. Whoa. Whoa. It's just a color, you know? It's just a color. <laughs> it's a color. It's a color out of space, you know? It's the color. I fucking love this movie. Fuck Jerry Heron. You know, this movie's fucking great. If you love Lovecraft, 
this is a, the, one of the best Lovecraft adaptations of yes. modern time. Absolutely. And it's just amazing because Richard Stanley, who had kind of the shittiest luck back in 96, because if he you sure watched, did. watched that <laughs> documentary on the yeah. island of Dr. Monroe, and he just comes back with full force and makes like this modern retelling of this Lovecraft story, which just works for me in all levels. It's just great. Tommy Chung is fucking awesome in this movie. <laughs> when he just comes out of nowhere, like, hey, man, it's in the water, it's in your skin, it's everywhere, man, life sucks, you know? <laughs> and Nick Cage just goes full Nick Cage and killing those alpacas and blasting everything. You get fucking crazy half-kid, half-wife creatures. It's just fucking awesome. And the ending, again, downer, and I love it because... I can't wait for Richard Stanley just to do like this Lovecraft trilogy because the Dunwich yes. Horror is next, and I can't wait to see what that's going to be like. Yes. You know, Richard Stanley is back, and give him the fucking respect, motherfuckers. He's here yeah. to stay. After I watched this movie for the first time, I literally walked out of the theater saying, Richard Stanley does not have the right to make a fucking movie this good. <laughs> like, he just. I, I, when I, let, me, let me put it this way. When I first heard about the film, you know, over a year ago that it was being made, and I heard that Nicolas Cage was in it, I was really happy. I was like, cool, you know, he'll bring it over to top quality to it, blah, blah, blah. But then once I saw the film and saw how much love Richard Stanley put into this thing, into the script, into the score, which, by the way, is my favorite score of the year, uh, Color Out of Space. I am a big Colin Stetson fan and love just about everything he's ever done. Uh People might remember him as doing the score for Hereditary a couple yeah. of years ago, oh, nice. which is one of my favorite scores of all time, not just of that year. So, yeah, anything Colin Stetson does, I will be into. But, yeah, once I saw the film and saw the love and the seriousness that the movie was taken, I was actually a little upset that Nick Cage was in it. I'm like... Like Nick Cage adds that over-the-top quality to films that usually is a lot of entertainment, like in Mandy. I think he was absolutely perfect in Mandy. This one, I feel like if they would have gotten a slightly more even-keel actor, I may have even enjoyed it even more. And I love this movie, mind you. Um, I, I just I can't say enough good things about it. And I'm not knocking Nicolas Cage, mind you. Please don't put words in my mouth. I'm not saying that I regret him being in it. I'm not saying that it was a mistake or a bad move. All I'm saying is that when I finally saw the film and saw how much care and love that Stanley put into this film, I would have liked to have seen maybe a slightly more serious actor play the role. Again, not that Nick Cage isn't serious, but he is very, over the last five to ten years, a very over-the-top character on and off film. So, But I still love this movie. I mean, yeah. there's just about nothing that could have made it better. I just, yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is, though, Venom... I think he's actually perfect in the role because he actually embodies like a Lovecraft character the way he portrays it because he actually is a fan of Lovecraft himself, Nick Cage. Oh, sure. and he knows yeah. to embody mm -hmm. the certain character that you would see in like a color out of space story better than say like the curse with Will Wheaton going back to, <laughs> Will Wheaton, you know, uh, yeah. which is another adaptation of this short story, which, you know, and, I get it. He does go a little hammy. He's he's, he's kind of dry in the beginning, but that's the way a Lovecraft character would be portrayed on film, unfortunately.
That's oh no, that's, I and that, I and oh, I yeah. understand that. Yeah, I mean the whole point of Lovecraft is that it's it's driving people insane. Whatever the villain of the film is, it's driving people insane in unexplained ways, and I'm very okay with that. I'm just like I said, I'm just I'm just talking about the dichotomy between when I first heard about the film and how excited I was that Nick Cage was in it to the time when I finally saw it and thought, hmm, I, I might have liked to have seen, like, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, I can't even think of who I would put in there. And like Chris I said, for Walker. Not, uh, well, <laughs> maybe. Um, it's a color. Exactly. <laughs> and, and like I said, I, you know, I'm not saying that there's absolutely an actor in my head that I think would have done a better job. No, not at all. I'm just saying that, you know, once or twice when he went a little too over the top, especially the car scene where he just goes off inside the car and just says fuck like 47 times. Um, it's very Nick Cage, and I'm down with that, but I'm just wondering what another seasoned actor might have been able to do with that role. That's all. It's just it's just like a question in the back of my head. I, but I get you. Ultimately, it's an almost perfect film. I, I love it to death, and I'm pretty sure we're not done talking about it tonight. Yep. For sure, right. uh, that would that would be agreed upon. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right, we are on Brandon. Number seven. Yeah. All right, my number seven. Uh, so for those that don't know, I'm a bit of a hillbilly myself. Uh, I grew up in the mountains of Colorado, uh, around lots of horses and guns and things like that. So anything that is outside of a metropolitan area is something I'm typically going to enjoy. Um. Along with that, one of my favorite movies over the past decade was Wind River. So I don't know if you guys have seen Wind River with Jeremy Renner. Uh, just oh, yeah. like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kick, a kick-ass thriller, you know, tons of atmosphere. Yeah. And so this movie, I was getting those same kind of vibes. And if you're not guessing what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Hunter x Hunter. Um, nice. Dude, that, I mean, that movie is just, that's my ideal movie. I mean, being that I'm a huge Western fan, it involves areas that I appreciate and uh, it just it checked all the boxes for me of a movie that is basically made for me. Like I felt like that was my type of movie, uh, even without the ending. Yeah. But of course, <laughs> we have that ending, which is one of the greatest endings I've seen in a movie uh, in pretty much forever. Uh, yeah. Dude, just so like, because you, you figure something is going to happen, but you don't expect that. Uh, yeah. So yeah. you don't expect like yeah. So uh, I'm not going to give. And anything I'm so away. happy. I am so happy that they didn't go with the basic horror route where, you know, they show that the police are cl are uh, closing in on the cabin as the woman is doing what she's doing. And I was just so convinced that the cops were going to get there just before she did what she wanted to do and that they were going to arrest her and blame her for everything. And I'm like, ah, that's like the, such the color by numbers ending. But they did not do that. She was able to actually finish doing what she wanted to do. She walked away like a badass and just sit, sat on the stairs of her cabin with just this wonderful sense of uh, self-satisfaction, obviously lost because, you know, what she loses throughout the film and what causes her to do and what she does at the end mm -hmm. um, is very sad. But God damn, was this a satisfying ending? I'm right there with Brandon. This is one of the, my favorite endings of easily the last 10 to 15 years of horror. I mean, I the ear to ear grin that I had on my face as the credits were rolling had to be absolutely epic. And people know the way I am. I I'm not exactly proud of it, but I am that eye for an eye kind of guy, you know, even though it's not really the greatest um, 
a credo to go by in life, but I am very petty and I am very vindictive. <laughs> and when I see uh, a character in a horror movie get wronged the way this woman gets wronged, but still be able to get her fucking revenge. Oh my God. Did I love it? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought they were going to like stop the, you know, I thought the cops would get there and be like, wait, no, don't do it. We'll arrest don't them or something it. like that. And I was like, no, don't do that. Like he, like that dude deserves it. And then, uh, ah, it's just so satisfying. The, the first and, time, the first thing that I saw when I saw this movie was like, holy shit, Nick Stahl got fucking old. <laughs> he looked like he was fucking 75 in this movie. I remember when he was in that fucking Patrick Swayze Pecos Bill movie when he was a kid. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I kind of knew something was going to happen with his character because, you know, the last movie I seen him in was Sin City. I'm like, huh, I see what kind of roles you're going to take, Nick Stahl. <laughs> Yeah, this is one of those endings that my jaw was just hanging open the whole time going, holy shit, they did it. <laughs> they fucking And they did weren't it. shy about it. They were not fucking shy about it. Oh. No, they were not. And this movie, for anybody who cares, this actually is my number 11 of the year. It was at number 9, but like I said, with rewatches, it got bumped a little bit. And it, it broke my heart to take it off my top 10. Because like I said, it's easily my favorite ending of the year. It's my favorite kill, pseudo-kill of the year, whatever you want to go with. Because technically, we do see the guy take a breath there at the end. So I'm actually, I walked away from the film hoping he survives. I want yeah. him to live the rest of his life just like that. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, just I, I can't say enough good things about that movie. And, and even aside from the ending, it is a beautiful film. I mean, you know, they, they give you the idea that it might be some kind of nature gone a, a run amuck type film or like, a werewolf film. A, a wolf. Yeah. First, they kind mm -hmm. of say wolf. But then when the guy finds that campsite, you start to think, oh, maybe it's a werewolf type situation, blah, blah, blah. But then it goes down another path altogether. And I love that when I can't see where a movie is going. So kudos to the Hunter Hunter filmmakers. Great job. Hunter Hunter Ninja what? <laughs> Glad again that uh, you guys appreciated this one, too, because, man, it, dude, like this just felt like I was like, if they reach inside my brain and were like, hey, what's a movie Brandon would like? Like, that was it. This felt like the Headhunter of 2020, whereas Headhunter oh, was one yeah. of my favorite films last mm. year. It didn't have that that ending that really drives the point home. It still has a great ending of Hunter Hunter. Uh, uh, excuse me, of um, Headhunter. Headhunter. I, I, you know, I still love that movie beginning to end, but Hunter Hunter, my God. The, the the shit eating grin that it, that that movie leaves on your face is just so it, it, it's such a guilty pleasure. I, I'm gonna watch that ending as soon as we're done here today. <laughs> I just want to watch that scene over and over again. <laughs> awesome. All right. All right. All right. So my number seven is. Uh, Another one that I would say, like, I know if I've heard few people kind of, like, talk is a horror or not, but in my eyes, it definitely is. It's a lot more espionage, um, but also very psychedelic and messed up. But this is the sophomore Everett from Brandon Cronenberg. This movie, Possessor, is just one of the most beautifully shot films I have seen this year, and it's like... So incredibly well done, especially when it comes to the violence, because the violence is just, like, so real. And it, it's one of those movies where you just kind of got to sit back and just 
kind of digest it all because you're not sure like what exactly is going on. It took me a few minutes to kind of just piece it all together, but he definitely took after his father with taking the uh, kind of more spy other type genres and blending it with horror. And because this one kind of had like that feeling of Videodrome to me in a way, because even had some bits of body horror and like the assassin espionage stuff. And man, just this is one of those just films that I could watch over and over and over again and find something new to enjoy about it. I'm not going to say anything because that will uh, probably be talked about again. (laughs) I kind of figure, yeah. Same. Other other than I agree, I love the movie. I love the hell out of it. So definitely probably going to be brought up again. All right. Well, I can tell a lot of us are saving <laughs> to say something on that one later. <laughs> so I'll get into I'll get into my number seven. This one has been brought up already, I believe, by actually Benham and Don. Your guys' number ten is my number seven, and that would be his house. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just to add to what they said. Great acting. I like that it's kind of a new tale uh, or a new take on the haunted house genre. Sometimes. You know, genre films, you can have the feeling going going into them or as they're playing out, like, Man, this is so been there, done that. But I felt like this movie managed to bring us characters and stories um, that weave into the haunted house story that we haven't seen before. You know, these are um, voices and cultures that haven't necessarily been there. I thought it was a great job bringing it to the screen. I also think... Um, one of the shots is probably my favorite just kind of wide-angle shot of the year. It's, I believe, after the husband and wife are done having an argument and he's finishing his food in the kitchen and the camera starts mm-hmm. panning wide and his kitchen slowly starts to break in the horizon to to where eventually he's, he's like out in the water, kind of like reliving mm-hmm. nightmare event that happened in his life. I just think the way it fades into that. It's just so beautifully done. And it, it just kind of left my jaw drop <laughs> for that, for that scene. But his house, I agree. It's, it's excellent. And I had a great time watching it. And, uh, I mean, that's about all there is to say on that, but yeah, his house is my number seven. His house in the middle of the street, his house. <laughs> yeah. In the middle of the project. Mm-hmm. Oh, you made it sound ra- right. racist, Mike. Wow, that movie is racist as hell. <laughs> I know. It really is. Yeah, I know God. it is. Uncomfortably yeah. racist. God. <laughs> All right, so back around to me for the final selection of the first half of our top ten. So for my number six, this is going to be the only zombie film on my top ten, which is kind of surprising because there was a few zombie films this year that really resonated with me. We already talked about Yummy, Hashtag Alive was another one that I really enjoyed this year. But for my number six um, horror film of 2020, we're going up to the great white north of Canada, and we are looking at a zombie apocalypse and how it affects indigenous peoples on their uh, reservation land. Yeah, dude. This was, once again, a Shutter exclusive, and... That is, of course, Jeff Barnaby's Blood Quantum um, film. Love like I it. said, zombie film on a 
I, I, I'm trying not to say Native American because they're in Canada, so they're technically called Indigenous Peoples. So yeah. I'm trying to keep that term in my head, but yeah, uh, we're looking at the Indigenous people of Canada, the fact that there is a zombie apocalypse going on, yet everyone with Indigenous blood in their system is immune. Uh, they can still be torn apart and killed, obviously, but if they get bitten, they do not get the virus. And I just love how they do that kind of flip-flop on society where now it's the minorities who are ruling the land and it's the white people that are coming to them, asking them for sanctuary and supplies and things. There's a great scene in the movie when a father and daughter first arrive um, to the uh, reservation and he has a blanket on him that they end up burning before he walks in, which has just a great dichotomy with the fact that white people gave Native Americans, you know, um, smallpox infected blankets back then. And um, it, it just I, I love the kind of um, the way that it kind of spoke to that. Um, there were multiple scenes of, you know, white people being racist towards the indigenous, but now they are the minorities because most of them are zombies in this world. So, yeah, um, great kills, really good gore, um, a good story. The only thing that really kept this from being higher on my list is the main villain or the main human antagonist, Lysol. I had some major problems with his motivation. I felt like he was too young to have the kind of um, thoughts that he was having, you know, especially with all these elders here who were making the right decisions and this dumbass kid is just making impulsive decisions, blah, blah, blah. Um, but other than Lysol, I can't say anything negative about the movie. Absolutely loved um, the multiple sacrifices that are made through the movie. Obviously, in a zombie film, there's always going to be a good person that sacrifices themselves for the benefit of the group. Here, it happens two or three times, which is definitely, you know, very um, heart-wrenching, you know, multiple times throughout the film, especially... You know, our sheriff, who I absolutely loved in this film, thought he did such a great job. Uh, the actor's name is Michael Gray Eyes. Uh, he was Sheriff Trailer in the movie. Um, but yeah, uh, again, this is a movie uh, that I can't say enough good things about. I love the way that they set it up with animals coming back to life first, you know, fish and dogs and things like that. Even a deer that got hit on the side of the road ends up reanimating. Um, I absolutely love the way they brought that to us. And it made total sense that animals would be affected first before humans. You know, they're smaller creatures. You know, they have less blood in their system. A virus is going to affect them quicker than it would, uh, you know, a 200-pound human. So um, I really, really enjoyed that. I thought it was a great cold open. Um, and even the romance in this movie, which I've railed against in, you know, years past. I hate when they try to force a romance on us in a horror film. It's just not necessary, especially a zombie film. But I felt like it was never jammed down my throat in this movie. There's an even better example of this in Monstrum. I thought that the, the way that they handled the romance in Monstrum was even better because they don't, you know, they only even really mention it two or three times in the movie. And I love that. You know, they're not trying to force that on us. And I felt the same way about this one, especially because the couple... They were together before the uh, the whole zombie thing happened. They were already together and they were already pregnant. So it didn't feel forced. Um, it just felt like two young people handling multiple situations that they've never had to deal with. A pregnancy, a zombie apocalypse, you know, having to help white people, you know, f for a change instead of them looking for help from, um, you know, the, the, the standard uh, population. So... 
again, everything about this movie I genuinely really, really loved. And despite the the fact that I didn't like our human uh, antagonist, I absolutely loved his ultimate end. I love the way that they did it. Um, you know, th- his punishment was absolutely earned and absolutely poignant. So, yeah, again, um, I'll shut up before I go off on a tangent. But, yeah, my number six of this year is my only zombie film on my top ten. That is Blood Quantum. Great, great movie. Um, we had, was it? Moods and Heather on. Yeah, yeah, you guys had like that was yeah. an amazing episode. Yeah, yeah we it was good to, to get Canadians the perspective the too. Because I knew mm-hmm. I knew that there was going to be some kind of social commentary about why it was um, shot in Canada in 1981, and Heather, you know, being having an education background, was able to explain everything that happened in 1981 in Canada in real life that affected Indigenous people, and it just it, it put an extra cherry on top on the movie for it. The fact that there's actual real life social commentary in here based on an actual event from 1981. I, I just love the shit out of it. So yeah. Awesome. And why it has a 5.5 on IMDb is beyond fucking me. Cause people That's suck. Crap. God. Yeah. <laughs> people suck. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They can tend to, uh, all right. Are we going to Don now? For number six. All right. So I'm going to call this right here. This is probably going to be the most shocking pick of the entire night. Oh. My number six is Relic. Oh. Oh, Wow. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I know what Don means by shocking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, This Because, I mean, when I first saw this, I definitely didn't think this is something Don would like. This was a shocker for me, too. Yeah, for me, I, I I absolutely love this. This was far and away something I would not have expected myself to like. Because you guys all know me. You all know my tastes. It should be no surprise that, you know, I would probably favor the goofy, silly, cheesy stuff. And artful slow burns, stuff like this, should not be something that I would really gravitate towards. But I really love this. This was just fantastic. The pacing was perfect for me. I was not bored. I was completely engaged. All of the set pieces, they were just pitch perfect. They worked fantastically. I had so much fun with, you know, the growing escalation, the the social commentary involving the family dynamic and how the diseases in the disease is spreading throughout her as the situation unfolds. I really enjoyed it. I had, I think we really developed a lot more of it throughout the episode itself, but overall, yeah, this was one that I was really shocked to like. And I, I was really, really blown away with this one. I had a lot of fun with it. And yeah, it's one of, I think it's, I know it's shocking for for me to be into this one, but I was really into this. Yeah, this is easily one of the best allegories for dementia I've ever seen. Uh, This film is heartbreaking, especially if you've ever had anyone in your family who's dealt with dementia or Alzheimer's or, you know, any, any kind of mental disorder late in their life. This movie really hits close to home. 
Um, this is another movie that had a great ending, but unlike Hunter Hunter's ending, which was like a guilty pleasure satisfaction, this was like a very poignant ending that a lot of people didn't really get. A lot of people didn't really, I, I had heard podcasters say they didn't really quite understand what the metaphor of that ending was. It's I think retarded. we did a pretty good job talking about it on Fresh Cuts. Um, but yeah, uh, a great film. Didn't quite make my top ten, only really for pacing issues. But ultimately, it's a great film. Great, all three women in the film uh, give awesome performances, and it is you know it's a heartbreaking ending. It really, when you really understand what that ending is representing, it, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So yeah, very shocked. Uh, both that you know it's taken this long for anyone to talk about Relic. But and the fact that it was Don that brought it up first, absolutely, you know, it's just it's great to see um, for whatever it's worth. You know, I've, I've always been a fan of Don's tastes. And ultimately, I like a lot of the movies that he also likes that a lot of people don't really get into. Uh, that's a discussion for another episode. But um, to see Don really, really embrace a movie like this, it, it does. A, it does my heart good, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Donnie boy, the pipes are Patrick Hawley. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, right. we'll we'll get into some familiar taste later on. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I hear I'm still you. waiting for a shark movie. Damn it! Yeah. Oh wait, we didn't do any shark movies on Fresh Cuts, did we? Shit. Nope. But, uh, I told you. <laughs> I told you guys. Mike's the chosen right. the reviews, so that's why. Yeah. Guys, should have done a Ouija shark. <laughs> Hell yeah! That wasn't even uh, the good, that wasn't even the good shark movie. I know it was just it was horrible. <laughs> I liked it. It wasn't bad. <laughs> of course, see. All right, uh, all right. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the next, to, I guess. And this is where I'm going to start making. Six. This is where I'm going to start making some enemies. Before I tell you my pick, I understand this movie's not going to be for everyone, especially the way it's done. And that is the Wolf of Snow Howl. Ooh, nice. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. The main character acts the way he does because he's a struggling alcoholic, and I actually seen people like that in my life where I live, especially going to AA. They turn into one character one second, and the next minute, bang, fucking asshole. <laughs> yep. the way they, it's the way they are. And, you know, I like how the film, I, I hear a lot of complaints about the editing. I like the editing because it dwells into his stressful, chaotic situations of what's going on with him as a struggling alcoholic. And I like that aspect of the movie a lot. And, you know, I just like movies that remind me of Fargo. It's like, it's <laughs> Fargo with a fucking werewolf, you know, sort of, you know, and it's, it's dry humor. It's very dry and, I like it. I can understand why people won't, though, either, and don't get it in that aspect. But I enjoy it for it is an R.I.P. Robert Forster last role. Yeah, yeah. I I actually love the performance of the main uh, character. I I was very okay with his characterization. You know, the struggling alcoholic, everything else. I I am one of the people who had a problem with the ending because um, I rewatched it a second time. And there's elements of the first two acts that don't really make a lot of sense once you see the reveal of what actually is going on in Snow Hollow or Wolf Hollow. Yeah, that, that was my issue with the two. Exactly. So I don't mind it. I don't mind the twist it does, but right. I, I just I don't see how it 
connects to what goes on before. Exactly, which is you know it's a, it's a minor complaint ultimately yeah. for me. Same. It doesn't because um, I did enjoy the film a lot on first watch, and it was on the second watch where I started to put these pieces together. Like, hey, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. But ultimately, it, it was a great first watch. Some really good gore. Um, decent, you know, um, creature design on our antagonist. Um, ultimately it's not a bad film. It just didn't really resonate with me as much as most, but it's definitely not a surprise to see it in anybody's top 10, especially cause it got a lot of, uh, word of mouth when it first came out. I saw a lot of podcasters, Mark Nato, uh, to name one that, you know, absolutely loved the film and was talking it up. And it was one of the reasons I watched it. And I don't regret watching it by any stretch, or the second watch either. But, um, yeah, just some minor nitpicky stuff for uh, for me kept it off the top ten. Yeah, I can see that, you know. Uh, and Mike just hated it because it's yeah, Mike. Yeah, I agree. I think no, me and Mike I were right on the same page. Mike yeah, I liked movies. it. I thought it was funny. And yeah, I didn't hate it, like I said. It's not like I, even after... I, I started seeing these little problems, you know, with what was happening and, and then the reveal at the end. It didn't really take away much enjoyment of the film. It was still a fun movie um, leading up to the ending. And, you know, I did, for whatever it's worth, I may not have been a big fan of the reveal, but I was a fan of the person uh, involved with the reveal. You yeah. know, I, I get the, the guy who ended up being our antagonist. I, I was a fan of his performance, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, not a bad film at all. And there's baby death. And there's baby death, which is always fun. (laughs) All right, we are on to Brandon for number six. All right, my number six. uh, I mean, I guess for people that know me and know my taste, probably isn't a surprise. uh, Because my number one film of the 2010s is Black Coat's Daughter. So, again, probably not a surprise that I'm going to have this high up on my list. And that's Gretel and Hansel. Uh, Nice. uh, It just... Again, I think for me, like Oz Perkins, just he he knows exactly who he is with the movies that he makes and the, the, the tone that he creates and the scoring that he creates in his movies. And I think this took like a, a cool new twist on, you know, this this fable that we all know. I mean, everyone knows this story uh, and made it his own thing. He didn't just make it what everyone else had made it before. And uh, I mean, I just... I thought it was beautiful. I love the, the droning score from the beginning and the, the cool death, the, you know, the witch death at the end. I thought it was cool. I, I liked the whole thing. And it was one of those ones I was able to catch in the theater before things shut down. My son and I went and saw it super early in the morning at Alamo draft house. So we we're eating and drinking and watching movies. So <laughs> man, I just, I loved it. I know this seemed to be a pretty divisive film this year, whether people liked it or not. But for me, like, Oz Perkins is three for three right now, and I'm I'm super yep. curious to see what he does with uh, the Fort Bragg movie, you know that's yeah. gonna that's in production or pre-production. So yeah, he's uh he's he's still done everything perfect for me. So uh, yeah, Gretel and Hansel. Yeah, I totally agree. This was the this was one of the early uh, surprises of the year. Um, even though it was Oz Perkins, you know, and I do love his first two films, I didn't want to go in with too high of expectations because it is a studio film and obviously studios are going to get involved. But ultimately, that that was a great film beginning to end the tone, the tension, the score. 
Um, the little bits of gore that we actually got all worked really well. The witch was awesome. You know, there was no swerve story. It's not like it turned out to be a misunderstanding or anything. It was a legit witch, which just I absolutely love. Uh, this was very high on my top ten for a lot of the year, but obviously it was a January release. So it, it obviously has 11 months worth of movies to contend against, but um, still great, great film. One of my favorite, I mean, obviously I only had a handful of theatrical um, experiences this year, and that was definitely one of my favorites. I got to see it in IMAX, and it was just amazing. So yeah, great film, great pick, and unfortunately, because it did come out so early in the year, I'm not hearing a lot of buzz about it now on people's top 10, so I am glad that Brandon brought that one up. Good shit, Brian. Oh, yeah. All right. We are on Scott, I believe. Yeah, Scott, your number yes. six. Yeah. All right. So my number six was uh, an early Netflix release. Uh, I think it pretty much came out like shortly after the lockdowns happened here in uh, Michigan. And I'll just say right now, the panna cotta is the message. <laughs> yes. So my number six is the platform. Man, this was such a, like, this movie probably didn't, like, I don't know if they purposely released it when they did or what, but man, the timing of this, like, with everything that was going on with, like, how everyone was acting selfish and stealing, or, you know, fighting for toilet paper and all this crap and not leaving any for anybody else, and it's like, it just pretty much proved this movie's point about society in so many ways. And it just, it's one of those films where I watched it and it's stuck with me since then. I haven't even had to rewatch it and I still can picture this movie scene for scene when it got released. And it's just so well acted. The story just like has such a strong message behind it. And it's pretty violent and messed up in certain points too. And like, mm -hmm. but yeah, this is one of those films that I just cannot say enough good things about it. It hits home a little too much, but at the same time, like, Kind of, I, I kind of like those films when it just kind of hits you with reality. Yeah. And and the thing is, I, I feel like this movie suffered because a lot of people didn't understand the ending. And yeah. I love the ending of this film. Absolutely love it. And all you, gotta, all you have to remember, folks, for the people who saw this movie, the ending represents hope. That's it. It's hope. Yep. And that's all these people were fighting for this entire fucking movie. Uh, no matter what level of this facility they're in, hope is what they were fighting for, and hope is what we got at the end. So even though we didn't see like a true ending, like a culmination of the story, I feel like that ending was pitch perfect. I absolutely loved it. I know it didn't work for a lot of people, and that's fine. You know, to each his own. Um, this is one that also barely missed out my list, uh, but yeah, I, I loved this movie when it came out. Its its social commentary was spectacular. How anybody on a level below fifty even survives in that facility yeah. is beyond me. Um, but yeah, I, so much so, it's thick with social commentary, and you know, for yeah. a simple little movie that's kind of an isolated little picture in one location, even though the location itself is gigantic, it's still basically one location, and it every just about everything in this film works for me. One of my favorite scenes was just the scene where the, our first two prisoners are just talking about the items that they picked to go in with. Yeah. You know, one of them picked a book, and then the other one picked the uh, the, that awesome sushi. The Samurai Plus. 
the samurai plus yeah. yes and i just love their conversation their back and forth about why they picked those things i think it's one of the more subtle scenes in the movie but it's absolutely one of my favorites i yeah. love it. yeah it's kind of funny like i just wanted to read don quixote I'm like what poor guy didn't know what he was up for those you know? yeah <laughs> and I and I just love like like that's the thing about this movie that I loved the most was just like the dialogue between him and the old man at first for like however long they were together. <laughs> it was together. like a half an hour, yeah. yeah. Pretty close, yeah. Like the whole first act was just them, yeah. It, it just, oh, I was so like good. glued to my I was glued to the screen the entire time. It was so good. Yeah, this is one of the, this is one of the few films this year that I watched a second time in the same week. It's like it it left me with so much to think about after the first viewing. I had to watch it again. Uh, before we talked about it on Fresh Cuts. So, yeah, th- this was an enjoyable one. Absolutely. Uh, and R.I.P. Ramsey is the second. Oh, yeah, poor little guy. Yeah. Who the hell would bring their dog into that place, though, for Christ's sake? Right? <laughs> God. <laughs> Nobody of their right mind. Oh. All right, Mike, that just leaves you, buddy, for your number six. Yeah, come on, Mike, hurry up. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well... I swear this was not planned, but my number six is also the platform. Oh, nice. Uh, I, yeah, I echo pretty much everything that's already been said about it. Uh, I love the commentary going on. I love how they think you know certain plans are figured out. I love what the movie has to say about not just one kind of system, but multiple systems, and how there is no like kind of magic pill that everyone's going to agree on. And just when they, you know, you think your plans have it set to work one way it doesn't take much to ruin those plans um i also agree um the ending might have uh i don't know if it confused or people just didn't like it it might be a combination of the two i think the point of the end was especially i mean what should have tipped it off is when it went from the panicata to um the just the child and the, the the point that it was hope you know that is this going to work is it not we don't know but we kind of united behind this cause and we're giving it our best shot because what else do we have at this point but hope and i also think this is one of those movies that it, it felt like it kind of came and went like when it first hit i heard people talking about it but once it kind of like left the netflix front page i really didn't hear a lot of people talk about it at all um, but it, it always kind of stuck with me throughout the year and I wasn't a hundred percent sure, you know, it would make the list. But when I was going back through everything, I was like, man, I just thought it was really well acted. I love the story. Yep. I love the setup. And, uh, I love the fact that like he, I think it was, he volunteered to get in there to, like shades off his prison sense or something. Like he, I love the fact that he still kind of went in there voluntarily in a way. Yeah. But, a lot of people uh, did, yeah. yeah overall, I think he went in there to quit smoking, yeah. if I remember correctly. Or to get a good... That might that's be a Or a credit diploma right. or something. I think it was someone else he talked to. Yeah, he, yeah, it was some he, kind he, of education I think it was someone thing. else he, he talked he to. He did mention there. a diploma, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know. I also yeah. forgot to mention the comedy, too. The comedy of the platform actually worked. There's not a lot of it, I understand, but... You know, as these guys get more and more crazy from lack of food and shit, you know, some of them get entertainingly crazy. And specifically, the scene where that one guy shits on the other guy's face, I lost. Oh, yeah. I absolutely <laughs> fucking lost it. I'm like, oh, my, that's so something somebody in prison would do. <laughs> it's a chick, too, that shits on him. It's fucking great. 
<laughs> so good. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, we are halfway through our top 10 of 2020. So at this point, we are going to go ahead and take a short break. But before we go, unfortunately, we do have to say goodbye to one of our guests tonight who has unfortunately run out of time. Obviously, these top 10 shows tend to run long. So uh, before we take our break, I want to say thank you uh, to Brandon for joining us. Uh, it has been a long time since we got to work together. So this was a, a great treat. Um, Brandon is going to let us know uh, what his five through number one picks are so that we can still let the all of you listeners know what Brandon's complete top ten list. But uh, before we finally say goodbye, Brandon, is there anything else you want to close with before you take off? No, again, just uh, great to be back with you guys. Uh, I, I missed uh, doing some podcasting with you. Um, it's been, you know, that's been another challenging thing for this year is just my wife works nights in healthcare and I work days and I have kids. So normal podcasting time is filled with uh, me uh, playing Super Mario Brothers on an iPad with a toddler. So uh, that isn't too conducive for uh, podcasting. But uh, yeah, just glad to be back with you guys and hopefully bringing out some new stuff and some new flexibility this year. But yeah, working on uh, some new podcasts with my son um, under, uh, you know, and that's been a fun show too. It's called uh, He's Going to Need Therapy. And so that's on Dark Discussions and under The Anatomy of Fear. We just did an episode on... Um, Oh, what the hell did we do? We did uh, Lovecraft Country. We did 2001 A Space Odyssey. And then I think we did The Crow on that episode. And uh, our next episode, which should drop next week, is The Shining and Dr. Sleep. And then after that, we're going to do uh, some old school gang movies. So we're going to do like Boys in the Hood and uh, I think maybe American Me or Blood and Blood Out. Not sure which one yet. So. Oh, Ooh, good choices. Oh. Yeah, all very age appropriate for a 12-year-old, so. Oh, yeah, American me. Break his cherry, American me. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Well, yeah, once again, thank you, Brandon, for joining us. It was awesome. And, uh, yeah, we'll be, be we'll be right back, folks, with the top half of our 2020 top horror films list. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, we're back, and we're going to get right back into it, going back to Venom with his number five. So, Venom, take it away. All right, well, my number five, we have already discussed at, um, uh, once, I believe. It, it is Derek's number eight. So my number five is Monstrum out of South Korea. Yeah, um, I didn't want to talk too much when we first talked about it because I absolutely love this film. Even though I think, now that I think about it, I did kind of go off on how great the non-horror scenes were. Oh, yeah. One of the, it was one of the things that really elevated this movie. All the scenes that don't involve the monster or bloody bodies or death, I mean, they're all just so gorgeous. I mean... They, they look like something out of an Ang Lee martial arts epic, you know? So it, it works for me in every way. Um, 
you know, the monster, the monster is the monster. You know, we've all talked about, we've talked about it already, how he looks like a little cat dog, little creature that grows up into a giant fucking angry tiger lion thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, some great gore. Yeah, you get a lot of CG blood, but at least it looks decent for the most part. It doesn't really bother me all that much when he's squishing people and we see the little pops of blood underneath his paws. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we already talked about it, so I won't take up too much more time, but yeah, my number five out of South Korea is Monstrum. The thing that I like that you mentioned Cat Dog, and I only have another song for that, Cat Dog, Cat Dog, (laughs) in a little world, a little cat dog. (laughs) Very nice. All right, Donnie, what's your number five? All right, this is another one that's been brought up before and uh my number five is the dark and the wicked nice Nice. yep um i mean what else is there to be said i mean it's just chilling and haunting some of the best scare scenes in the in the genre for the year um ah, what kept it down is just that damn ending i mean i understand where it's coming from i i get what it's doing but yeah, just for the most part, I don't really see how it works as it does, but it's the only thing holding it back for me. Otherwise, I love this. I mean, there's not much to dislike about it. It has, you know, you guys have brought it up already, you know, heart-wrenching sequences, fantastic performances, and yeah, I, I don't have much else to add to it. Uh, number five, Dark and the Wicked. There you go. Another great choice. Yeah. Uh, let's see where we at. Derek, yeah, yeah, still, we still might be hearing about it later even more. <laughs> even yeah, better. For sure. Wow, I can't believe how much I raved about that movie, but I have it the lowest on my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of movies that were just mentioned, especially by Don, and, and the reason why you didn't hear anything me talking about it is because he had a number six and I have it at number five. Fucking relic. So fuck off, Mike. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> as usual fucking yeah I love this movie it's so dark and brooding and the atmosphere is outstanding within it the cinematography is beautiful Australian movies fucking rocks it's like an Australian J-horror movie in a way with the atmosphere of it and just I the can way see that, that. That's, that's, that's not a bad great description actually yeah I, I can see that and, you know, I love all three performances. Emily Mortner, I always loved her growing up. Like, the first movie I remember her from is another Killer Lion movie, The Ghost in the Darkness, where she played Val Kilmer's wife. It's freaking crazy. That was so long ago. <laughs> oh, it shows my age. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's fucking funny. And, you know, it's just great. The great performances all around. I love the ending of this movie. Because I do get it. I I understand how people don't get it. It's a generational thing where you see what becomes of the grandmother. I don't want to really talk too much about it for people that haven't seen it. You know, you see the the grandmother, which she is now, the mother and the daughter, and she sees the mark, which shows it's a heritorial thing, this thing, and it's Mm -hmm. the fear of what's to come in the future. This might happen to your loved ones and your future loved ones too. And it's very scary because dementia is very scary. It's a scary thing to go through. And this movie brings that 
to its focus point, and it's brilliant for that. And I love it. Nightmare Logic slash J-Horror Australian movies rock. Hell yeah. yeah. I can't can't disagree. Uh, We already talked about it, and yeah, uh, I love the film. I I watched it again recently, and it really, it it just barely missed my top ten. Maybe if there was a little bit more of a horror element to it, it might have gotten up there, but that doesn't take away from the film. It's a beautiful uh, allegory, like as we mentioned earlier, for dementia. Um, Anybody who's dealt with it at any point in their life with any generation of their family, a grandparent, great-grandparent, whatever the case may be, um, I I feel like this movie would probably resonate with a lot of people like that. And I did, you know, um, on a personal level, um, my eldest grandfather, I, I never knew him as the vibrant young man that everyone else knew him as. By the time I met him... Uh, very early in my life, uh, he was already kind of breaking down and didn't really know who anybody was. He'd forget his own wife's name, things like that. And it's absolutely heartbreaking to see it, um, you know, when it happens in your family. Because, I mean, it's something that you deal with for years. Relic kind of compacts it all into a 90-minute little package so that you kind of get a taste of what it's like. But when you actually go through it, you realize it's like years of dealing with what they dealt with in relic. So yeah, very, very touching movie, you know, very personal. Um, I'm sure for the filmmaker, it is a very personal film as well. So yeah, relic is amazing. If you haven't watched it, do yourself a favor. And one other note before we go on, I just love how they made the house feel like a character in itself. Like even like, it kind of had like burnt offerings thing where they made the house, like its own character within the film, and I like that aspect of it too. Exactly, which you I mean, don't I get felt, to see a lot in modern movies like this. Go definitely. ahead. Definitely, I felt I felt like the house was kind of a representation of Grandma's mind. As you see the house deteriorating, getting more moldy, a wallpaper falling off the walls, things like that. It just really gave you a good representation of what Grandma is kind of going through inside her head. Her psyche is get is falling apart. Her memories are going away. They're they're peeling away like old wallpaper off a wall. I mean, the metaphors in this movie are everywhere. And if you're really paying attention, and like I said, if it speaks to you on a personal level, it's an amazing film. So, yeah. Mm. Good shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, where are we at? Okay, so for Brandon, Brandon did let us know what his top five selections were. So we'll keep the order the same. And for Brandon's number five, we've already talked about it. It is Scott's number nine film, and that is Spontaneous. Nice. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right, Scott, what's your number five, brother? All right. My number five has already been mentioned by Derek and the colors. Uh, So (laughs) mine is Color Out of Space. I am a huge Lovecraftian fan, and this was probably the best uh, adaptation of a Lovecraft story I've ever seen on film. And it's one of the rare or one of the few films from this year that I have rewatched, like getting ready to do my end of the year list. And I told Heather, I think back in January when we watched it together, I was like, this is going to be my top 10. She's like, the year is still young. I'm like, no, this will be in my top 10. And yeah, sure enough, it's sitting comfortably at my number five. We've already discussed this, so there's not much else to say, but I just love everything about this movie, the way it looks. It's 
just so freaking beautiful, especially if you watch a 4K of it. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got a Blu-ray for uh, my birthday. Actually, Carly got it for me. So I bought I bought a new TV. Not I mean I already had a 4K TV, but it didn't do HDR. So I literally bought a new TV just for Color Out of Space. And nice. yeah, as soon as the 4K came out, I watched it a couple of times in the first week. And my God, I I thought this movie was gorgeous in theaters. I was one of the lucky few who got to see it in theaters because I'm in LA. But man, when I saw this at home on my 60 inch and full 4K HDR. Ah, it was a religious experience. <laughs> yeah, I felt like my eye, my eyeballs were melting out of my skull just staring at the colors. <laughs> the color. Yeah, the colors, man. I was I was literally chong at this po- at that point. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right, back to Mike. What's your number five? Mike. All right, my number five is maybe controversial. I don't know. I I don't think it is because of what the characters in this kind of were um, and the tone. And it's a siege movie and it's a fun as hell siege movie from way early in the year. Uh, probably one of the funnest times I've had. And that would be VFW loaded cast. Um, I love kind of like how the people after this new drug have almost been turned into mutant like creatures that were eager to get the drugs. Were they though? And I just, <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought so. I thought they were perp- some of the shots were purposely made to make yeah. them look like they were in like a drug addled frenzy and uh they didn't look like just normal addict people to me portrayed in like drug movies. So No, especially if you um, really pay attention to some of the scenes where there's large amounts of the gang members, the hypers as they were called in the film, they they're 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 aggressive but they weren't animalistic in the sense that especially in the scene when William Sadler came out of the bar with the chainsaw thing, the table saw in his oh, hand. Did awesome. you notice how a lot of them just stood there and let him do it? It's like they were being aggressive. They they wanted to take over the facility, the VFW, but they also didn't really know what to do when they were faced with uh, an antagonist. So I, I just like that about it. This is the closest thing to a zombie movie that doesn't have any zombies in it that I've yeah. seen. It's yeah. like a solo on pre Saint Thirteen with drug addicts. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, yeah. that's what I thought of too. It almost kind of had like a video game feel to it as well, because like you would have like the huge muscular dudes coming trying to barrel in the door too. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about this one again. <laughs> Fred Williamson sniffing coke. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> Uh, I usually love Fred Williamson, but obviously this movie was a um, Cinescope yeah. movie, and obviously we had the controversy early in the year with Cinescope and Fangoria. Um, so there was some negative talk about some of the stars in the movie and their behavior towards some of the female uh, crew members on the film. I'm not going to get into names. If you want to know what's what, it's on the internet. Google it. Look it up. But um, yeah, despite the movie being a little problematic because of real life events that occurred on the set, it is a spectacular film. Almost perfect. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. All right, so we are back yeah, around. To I, I think they did our yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Jesus! Say, yeah, I think they did everything right in the movie. So no, absolutely, yeah, yeah, loved it. I there's there's almost nothing I can nitpick about it, and I mean literally nothing. Like I can't think of anything, but we'll get to that anyway. All right, so back around to me for number four. 
My number four is one that we've already discussed um, in at length, and that is Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space. I mean, what can I say that hasn't been said about this movie? Everything about it is amazing. It is easily my favorite score of the year. Um, probably the only, I think I only bought two scores this year, and that was Color Out of Space and VFW. But yeah, Color Out of Space, spectacular score. We've already talked about the visuals. We've talked about the, you know, the, the creature effects on the one little, you know, on the little alien creature that we see. And then ultimately with the body horror that we get later on with other members of the family, uh, the practical effects are amazing. The computer effects are great. I mean, they only really utilize CGI for, you know, like I said, the little alien bug thing. And then, of course, the colors. So but most of it is practical. So I'm very happy with that. Absolutely love the homage to the thing with the killing of the llamas in the barn. I thought that was a spectacular scene. Um, again, I, I, there's not really anything too negative I can say about this movie. So, yeah, like I said, we've already talked about it, so this will be an easy one to just kind of go by. But yeah, my number four for 2020 is Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space. Not just the color. <laughs> All right, Donnie. Excellent pick. <laughs> All right, so my number four. This is going to be the first one mentioned for tonight. So it is anything for Jackson. Yeah, sorry, Miss nice. Jackson. Ooh, nice pick. Yeah, um, I mean it's one of the most inventive, unique ideas that we've seen in the genre this year. One of the. Uh, I mean, that just, I would say, maybe my favorite protagonist couple in the entire genre. Just, they're so endearing, they're so warm and fun and friendly, and they're doing it for just such terrible reasons. Like, you would think that this is not the way that these people are supposed to react for what they're trying to accomplish. And what they're trying to accomplish is just some of the most batshit insane visuals of the year. Um, just great scares, top notch all around. I love this. This was so much fun, and I really loved it. Yeah, this movie was one of the surprise movies for me for the year. Like, uh, I was just yeah. so blown away by it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when we were doing the show, uh, you what, what, what we were saying. This guy legitimately does nothing but Hallmark Lifetime yeah. Channel Christmas movies. It <laughs> was amazing I, when I found that out. Yeah, I mean, it's like, y you can read off this list, and there's probably five different instances of, of using the same words in various permutations of Christmas Town or Christmas City or Christmas Village. Like, we are not... I'm, not joking, like that is literally what his filmography looks like. And then to turn it around and just say, "Oh, I want to do a horror film," and he makes something like this, like, like there's no way it should be as good as it is. And it, it's so much fun. It's so good, and I, I just I loved it. Yeah, I mean, there's so many good things to talk about with that movie. Just yeah. so well put together. Great performances. I mean, the the setup is awesome. You know, it, it, 
I just that that cold open I absolutely loved. I loved how these two elderly people are just enjoying their morning coffee, having you know a silly conversation, actually talking about the hem on his pants, the he, the the length of his pants, and then exactly. suddenly they just decide to kidnap someone out of nowhere. It's like, oh hey, she's outside, go get her. So I just love that absolute uh, you know turn of kind of uh, atmosphere so quick in the movie. Um, and honestly, I mean, those two people, despite the despicable things they were doing, were actually fairly likable. I mean, by the end of the film, we end up with another human antagonist, and we actually start to sympathize with the with the older couple. So I, I, that's another thing, that they kind of subverted my expectations um, for the villain in this movie. So again, great job for a first-time horror director. I can't imagine how he could have done better. Great movie. Hallmark, you know? Yeah. <laughs> him and David Dakota, you know, who knew? <laughs> All right, got, Aaron, three. All right, this movie's been mentioned a few times tonight, and that, of course, is Perfect. it's actually ironically enough that I actually actually did a double feature of this with my number five pick because both slow burn movies, and that is The Dark and the Wicked. Nice, nice. <laughs> you know, uh, Brian Bertino is a director that I like with each film more. Uh, you guys know my opinions on The Strangers. I, I still I like the film. I, I know I was talking a lot of shit in the chat one day about it. It's just I, just, I hate the characters in that movie a lot. Yeah, same here. Liv, I mean, Tyler, I... Liv Tyler could go fuck off in that movie. <laughs> you know, I still like the movie. It grows on me on each rewatch, that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his films grow on... Each film that he does, like The Monster was one of my favorite movies of the year, that year that came out. Uh, And this one's just as good. It's like his version of a Fulci film, which I'm down for. I'm down for that. And I don't actually mind the ending as much as you, because I've seen some crazy fucking endings of Italian movies like Macabre. That kind of ends similar. Which, uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, it could have been better, but it's like, yeah, whatever. Everyone. Is, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's it's definitely not a bad ending. It's just it could have been better. That's all. Yeah, I've seen worse endings in another movie called <coughs> The Grudge <coughs> remake. <laughs> kind of similar. <laughs> Which you know, you know, it, it happens. But overall, I love the brooding score of this movie too. Is so fucking brooding and doom gloom the score of this movie, which is like. Everybody's going to fucking die at the end of this movie. Enjoy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Great pick. All right. So for Brandon's number four, this is a movie that I don't think has actually been brought up yet on this episode, though I do know that Scott and Heather did talk about it on the Friday Nightmares um, 2020 Horror Awards, and that movie is After Midnight's. Nice. Uh, directed by Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella. You know, great little movie. It's been so long since I've seen it. I feel like I watched it three years ago, <laughs> even though it's a 2020 movie. It's just, it's been so long. I, I, I remember very little about it, though I do remember walking out of it, liking it a lot more than a lot of podcasters did, because I did hear a lot of podcasters talk about how it was disappointing when it first came out, but I didn't see that. I, I yeah. thought it was a great great little movie. Just barely, Another one that's just barely out of my top ten, uh, but like I said, it just because it came out in February, it feels like a lifetime ago. 
Do you remember February when we can go outside? <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. You know? We can go do this. Things. <laughs> uh, uh, after midnight. Yeah, that makes me happy to hear that on the list. All right. Next one is Scott. What's your number four, buddy? All right. Well, this one has been mentioned, and I was quiet because it is also my number four, and that is Anything for Jackson. Hey. Sorry, Miss Jackson. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this one, like I was saying, is just a complete and utter surprise to me because once I heard that this director was just doing these Hallmark movies, I'm going, okay, how good can this really be? And I went into it, and it's probably one of the few movies this year that, like, legitimately creeped me the hell out. Like, especially you have, like, these just different demons that just kind of appear or ghosts. And each one is, like, freaky. Like, I never thought I would be scared by a old-school ghost in a sheet. But that thing just unnerved the hell out of me. And you also get, like, a contortionist, and that one is freaky as hell. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, I love just the, like, because it's such a dark movie, but there's just, like, these little breaks of humor in it. Like, when they go to the freaking... Uh, community center to do their satanic cult worship. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. And they have like punch and cookies and stuff like that all set up there. <laughs> I love how they admonish the guy for trying to eat a snack before the meeting. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It was so good. Like, Oh, this movie was just like such a wonderful surprise to me. And I, I, I will be watching this one over and over and over again. This is just such a fun film and, yeah, I'm still in shock by the director. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope he sticks with horror and doesn't go back to Hallmark. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> in terms of no, David I would Dakota. imagine Hallmark probably pays more. <laughs> David probably Dakota. More, probably easy to, easy to make movies that way, too. Yeah, very true. Yep. It is. It really is. Those, those Lifetime and Hallmark movies, they make a killing. I yeah. Believe. All right, Mike, the last of the number fours. What do you got? All right. Now, by now, this movie has been brought up a handful of times, so let me throw my hat into the same ring. My number four, Color Out of Space. You know, nice. Lovecraftian movie, cosmic horror. There's plenty of reasons I get why you know certain people don't like it as much as I do, or even how mm-hmm. any of us did. But I loved where it went. I thought Nick Cage's overacting in parts fit the character and the situation. I don't really have many complaints about that i thought they managed to also bring in a guy um like uh tommy chong like if you i didn't even know ahead of time he was in it if i would have you know you could have looked at it as like oh that's just like a stunt casting move but he actually did well in the role obviously it's a role that he was probably born to play but he was still good in it and i got a kick out of it and especially when they go back later and he's all taken over by the color of space, yeah. if you will, uh, that scene was just horrifying and cool at the same time. I mean, it was yep. it was just a pleasure to watch watch everything play out in in his little shack like that. Um, I I think you know when it comes to cosmic horror, not every time, but most of the times, you have to accept that the whole kind of purpose of what's going on is beyond the logic of earth and human thinking that's just comes with the territory. We're not, we're not really made to understand things that come out of space. And I like the way it's designed where whatever it is that's out there that came to earth, 
it's not it's not so much doing vitriolic things to people on purpose that's just what it does it's just it happens and i i just love stuff like that uh, i love the slow takeover of the family of course we get a pretty good finger chopping scene <laughs> um <laughs> But, Not the best finger-chopping scene of the year, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's more. But, uh, you know, overall, it's another one. It's, it's kind of from early in the year, and I can't remember. Was it? Do you guys remember? Was it a limited theatrical release or a full? Yes, it was limited. Yeah. Because I, I, I had okay. to go to a special theater in Hollywood to see it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I remember seeing the theater. I just couldn't remember if... You know, if, I, I think, you know what it was, I think for at least my city was similar to uh, Mandy from the year or two before where it was like, here's the night it's playing. So you can either go see it now or wait for a physical release or VOD. And luckily I was able to go that night. Um, oh, yeah, this was <laughs> Colorado Space was the one where the idiots because there was a and a afterwards that oh. you could stay and watch. <laughs> And the idiots started the reel at the final scene of the movie. Dummies, oh. man. Yeah. I mean, we didn't know it was the final scene of the movie, but it kind of made sense that it was because the guy in the roof and all, it was like, that seems yeah. like a conclusion, not a beginning. <laughs> but uh, luckily it didn't deter, and it was, still had a great time with it. And I can't wait to see like this cast and crew work together again. Bring it. Keep bringing it. Bring so, it. Out of space is my number right, four. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, we are. Def- we're hopefully we're th- he's going to do the trilogy, as Derek already mentioned. He's doing the Dunwich Horror next, so you know, fingers crossed that he's get- that we're going to get the same kind of quality on the next two films. Because, um, as Derek mentioned, I think it was Derek that mentioned it. This is one of the best Lovecraft adaptations ever. I have read a lot of Lovecraft, and I agree completely. Um, before this movie, I would have said The Void. And, you know, The Void's adaptation of Into the Mountains of Madness, I absolutely love. The Void was actually my number one movie of that year, so it speaks a lot to me. But, yeah, this adaptation, it's just so spectacular. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about it. So, yeah, let's let's definitely hope that the next two Stanley movies are going to be just as good, because... And who knows? He could become, he could take over uh, Stuart Gordon and Brian Usna's titles of Lovecraft King, you know? Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> I'm just waiting for a Richard Stanley movie with Brian Usner as a cameo. <laughs> hey, I'm Brian Usna. Let's do this. <laughs> Tentacles. <laughs> All right, folks, we are at the top three the cream of the crop, the best oh boy, of 2020. Oh boy. Whether you agree with us or not, these are our favorite films of 2020, and I will go ahead and start. Uh, my number three of the year has already been mentioned by Don. It is, I've, I mentioned it is my favorite foreign film of the year. It is my favorite supernatural film of the year. It has some of my favorite performances, non-American performances of the year. I cannot say enough good things about this movie. I was not sure it was going to be this high on my list, but when I rewatched it this week, I enjoyed every single second of it. And even though one of the characters in the movie is kind of a, a kind of a horror cliche, um, you know, one of the one of the sisters who has a bad attitude, blah blah blah. I, you know, we still get kind of a good payoff with her at the end. 
But the long and the short of it is my number three film of 2020 is Metamorphosis, also known as Byonshin in nice. South Korea. Yes, I and exorcism, for those who don't know, supernatural and exorcism, those are my that's my favorite subgenre of horror, bar none. The Exorcist is my favorite film of all time. Uh, I could watch it on a loop and be very happy. And this movie, you know, even though this movie didn't reinvent the wheel when it comes to exorcism films, it still did some really cool original stuff. You know, I love how the the um, the possessor, if you will, could bounce from body to body at will. I love that. Um you know, the, the whole thing with playing different characters in the family, um, you know, do all the different ways that we saw the family, individual members of the family acting weird, be it the older sister walking in on the younger sister in the shower and saying some cryptic shit or the little boy holding a knife above his uncle's head. It's just it was all, you know, terrifying, tense, uh, just some really, really great scenes a very satisfying ending, if not cliche, for those of you who watch a lot of exorcism films. You know, it's kind of the same ending that we always get. But still, for me, it was just as satisfying to see the family unit um, kind of make it through almost unscathed. You know, they did lose one member of their family, but ultimately, you know, the majority of the family made it through. For the most part, they were all likable characters. You wanted to see them make it. And, you know, I just, again, this is another movie that I could talk about for hours. And we did on Fresh Cuts when we first talked about it. So, yeah, Metamorphosis just blows me away. This movie was so incredible. You know, I already love South Korean horror. Um, I think it's, it's Korea is probably one of the countries that's really nailing um, supernatural horror over the years. And I just hope it doesn't stop. And yeah, I mean, some, you know, a heartbreaking death scene in this one, you know, with uh, one of the family members in the basement. And then, you know, a great scene between two brothers to kind of finish the movie off. So, yeah, again, Metamorphosis, uh, just a stellar film. Um, this is the first of my three 10 out of 10s for the year. There is nothing wrong with this film. I love every second of it. So, Mwah! <laughs> there it is. Metamorphosis, awesome. number three. All right, Donnie, what's your number three, buddy? All right, so I, I think this one should probably be one that a lot of people will suspect me of actually liking. Um, <clears throat> my number three is porno. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. get that lotion out, buddy. Oh, it's... <laughs> I've already gone through half a lube. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, my 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 one through ten is all porno. Nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, this movie was made for me. Um, it's just over the top in every which way possible. Um, f fantastic special effects, an incredibly fun story. Just in general, fun. And I know that a lot of it is probably going to be, you know, a lot of us are probably not in the mood for as much fun based on what go, what went on the, the, for the year, but for me I appreciate fun in all of its forms, and this was so much fun. Um, yeah, I I really just, I can't say enough about it. it. It hit every single aspect that I look for in a film. Um, it, it played it all perfect perfectly, and I was just in the absolute... I, I was just, I had so much fun watching it, so... For, yeah. 
for me, yeah, my number three is porno. Yeah, I mean, got some great kills. We got a great villain. I thought the uh, creature design on our on our uh, female antagonist I thought was really well done. Um, and actually, this this movie has a very underrated soundtrack. I mean, this movie's set in 1992, uh-huh. and there's some really good music in here too, from both from the time period and then more modern stuff as well. But yeah, this is definitely a movie that I think a lot of people didn't take seriously because it does have a little bit of a camp factor to it. But I absolutely loved it regardless. Just a great little movie. Um, and once again, the dick trauma of the year easily oh, goes man. to Porno. <laughs> yeah, that dick was trauma. brutal. The best part of the movie. <laughs> I absolutely love that scene. It was one of my favorites. <laughs> In a year full of them, that was one of my favorites. So. <laughs> right. It's definitely a fun movie. And uh, I like the movie within the movie, too. It's like something that Jess Franco would direct. It's like, oh, yeah. Or trippy. maybe like a Jean Roland kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It kind of reminds me of those two. Like, like, either or, like, either or, like either or, I would have seen one of them making something like this. So, yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Yep. I guess it's me, 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 right? Yeah, Derek. Number three, the fucking platform, yo. This movie blew my fucking shitter out. It it was like fucking, I blew my shitter out like that girl shit on that dude's face. Dude, that fucking guy pulled out that fucking Samurai Plus knife. I'm like, he's going to be doing some crazy shit with that knife. And sure enough, he did. And that scene's all fucked up. This movie is fucked and dirty and grimy looking. I love when they get to the lower floors and how dirty and shitty it looks even more as they go down and down. And it's crazy because it just keeps going and going. It's like the Energizer Bunny, this fucking platform. And (laughs) it's just, this movie blew my head and I really fucking enjoyed the fuck out of it. Great performances throughout it. And the ending, it makes it what it is. It's supposed to be about hope and survival. And it's I get it, and I love like the back and forth because he's hearing these people's voices in his head. I love all those scenes too. Even after characters are dead, they still come back. It's fucking great. Yeah, yeah, can't yeah. say enough good things about it. Great Amazing little movie. movie. A lot of great metaphor. Yeah. A lot of a lot of great um, commentary. Just awesome, awesome movie. And I, I, I think what makes it so good is it keeps you encapsulated the whole movie because there's often times where movies like that that operate on some type of you know different or weird gimmick that the movie will start out strong and it kind of fizzles to where it's just not interesting anymore but i felt the platform kept kept it going the whole movie it it, it re- mm-hmm. they added new wrinkles and little things to the movie to constantly keep it fresh and interesting and you always wanted to see how things were going to turn out you wanted to see like every time the floors switched you know what's what's going to happen now and the food situation the food situation alone was enough to create tension just to see that nasty table of food get to you if you're like too low or nothing at all it, it was a constant throughout the whole movie it was great yeah for sure yeah, absolutely all right, for Brandon's number three, he actually has... Hey, look at that. It's his namesake. It is Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Nice. Yeah, uh, another great film. Um, really was struggling with getting this on my top ten. I really wanted to get it up there, but 
Um, it just obviously there's brutal death throughout. Um, whether it's a horror movie to you or not isn't really the question. It's just is there enough horror to put it on my list? And I basically said yes, it is horror enough to put on my list, but unfortunately it just didn't make it to my top ten. Um, but it is ultimately a great film. Another very cool ending. I'm not going to say satisfying ending because it's very odd, but uh, just the, the way that they put that ending together and the kind of reveal of who all the players were by the end I thought was really, really well done. I loved uh, the character arc on our main character, the female assassin, you know, especially in the very opening scene of the film where she's talking about those personal possessions. And then at the very end of the film, it's the exact same scene, but she talks about one particular item very differently than she did at the beginning, which when you really think about it is very poignant um, when it comes to what happens in the film, you know, the family members that she loses, things like that. So uh, a great little movie, but like I said, it just wasn't quite uh, a top 10 spot for me as much as I wanted to get it up there. Great work by Brandon Cronenberg. Great score. Um, the body, the, the body horror, there's a little bit of body horror in there and it's really mostly, um, inside the mind. So it's not yeah. necessarily, it's more metaphor than anything that's actually happening in real life, but it still works for me. Uh, it, the movie has some gorgeous visuals. I mean, images that are going to stick with me for years, uh, so, yeah, um, a great, great movie. Just couldn't quite get it on my top ten, but I absolutely agree with anybody that does have it in there because it is a great film, undeniable. Sean Bean. Sean, Sean Bean. Bean. <laughs> and Sean Bean survived the movie. Go figure. Right? I did not Holy think he was shit. actually going to after what happened. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, Sean Bean in a horror movie? No way. He's well, dead. Sean Bean in any movie. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Scott, what is your number three? All right, so this one has not been mentioned yet, but we are going to go to Brazil to talk about a movie that has one of the most dumbest titles in the world, <laughs> but is just absolutely amazing filled with so much blood and gore and fecal matter and dancing fetuses peeing on people. Uh, I am talking about Ghost Killers versus Bloody Mary. My God, this movie was just batshit insane. And like Venom was talking earlier about your like favorite styles of films, splatter films and relationship films are my go-tos. And this one just nailed the splatter film. It reminded me a lot of like Evil Dead 2 and uh, Dead Alive and a bit of Deathgasm. And it was just so over the top, but so entertaining as hell. The effects were incredible. Funny as shit. Like, I I rewound that scene with the baby dancing baby fetus <laughs> shaking his ass at the dude. It was just, I, I was in tears. <laughs> oh, the yeah, biggest that, that surprise was really of the year. Yeah, really yeah. fun movie. I was I, considering the title. Yeah, that movie has no right to be that good, and it legitimately is. I mean, the comedy works, the horror works, the effects works, everything about it works. Uh, the found footage presentation, because you know these guys are recording everything that they do for a web series. Blah blah blah. Um, I absolutely love that aspect of it, and you know, urban legends is something that I've always kind of been into as well. 
So, you know, when you've got a movie like this that kind of revolves around urban legends, just especially urban legends that no one believes are real, but of course in a horror film, they always come true. So, yeah. Right. Great, great movie. Great selection. Very glad someone picked it because I wasn't sure anybody was going to mention it. I mean, there's a lot of great movies that probably won't get mentioned tonight, even once we do our honorable mentions, but I am it very glad. Been, it would have been, if we would have counted it, if we would have covered it on Fresh Cuts, it would have been up there. Yeah, I don't know why we didn't do it. I think it just got Mike. some other releases. I blame Mike. <laughs> I mean, I blame Mike for everything. my he was like, this is a review of Vampires versus the Bronx, or some fucking bullshit. I don't remember. No, I th- I think by the time it came across our attention, it was already not old, but there was still like stuff coming out every week, so it just kept getting pitched back. Because, I mean, we never did, uh, uh, what the hell was it? We didn't do Peninsula. Uh, Peninsula. Oh, that was a shock. Either, because... You know, mm-hmm. you got you guys saw it like when it originally came out. I didn't see it till VOD, but by that, so sometimes it's just scheduling for. Yeah, spoiler alert: Peninsula wouldn't make my list or. anyways. Yeah, I wouldn't have mine either. Well, yeah, not, yeah, not like uh, yeah. I mean, exactly. it, it um, as much as I liked Peninsula, it had a little bit too much CG for me. Need for Speed CGI too. Exactly. Yeah. Just. I, I didn't need that many CG car chases. It just really didn't make sense. But like, you know. It didn't really have the emotional punch of the first one either. Thank God. I mean, I'm tired of that crap. Ah, uh, see, I, 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 I'm not necessarily saying that I look for that stuff, but when a when a horror film actually makes me feel something at the end, that's usually a plus. Because horror to me has always been the fun, you know, bloody genre. I just want to see people get stabbed and you know whatever else. But um, you know, and I, I don't really consider myself an overly emotional guy, but when I see movies like this, like Cargo, um, other examples are kind of slipping my mind right now. But yeah, genre films that have the emotional ending, if they're done right, that is, they work for me, and I like them a lot. So yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Train to Busan was absolutely in my top ten for the original, but definitely not for the for the Peninsula. For sure. Yeah. Where are we at? Looks like Mike, number three. All right. This movie hasn't been brought up yet, but I want to say there's a chance it could get uh, a repeat mentioned, possibly. My number three. So a lot of times we hear, especially in the modern era, is is this movie being made? How are they going to modernize it? How are they going to come up with new stuff? Is it even justified once you see the final picture? Like, was there a reason? Did they need to, did they do it effectively? Did they kind of have it make sense? Was it something, was it as cheap as like, Oh look, they got cell phones now just to show that it's modernized, which I I hate when they, uh, when they do that. But this one, I felt they, actually went in a direction that did make sense. Uh, they kind of went from mad scientist to technological genius, mm-hmm. and they made this in the backdrop of escaping abusive relationship and how that can linger. And even though you're technically out of the relationship, that doesn't um, mean that the effects of it are over or that, you know, you're in a completely safe situation. I, I was very surprised by it. Uh, 
just how much I enjoyed it. I watched it a second and third time just because since it came out so early in the year, it had hit like HBO by the, you know, by I think late summer maybe. But uh, that would be The Invisible Man. And, you know, I'm, I've never been an anti-remake guy. I'm just kind of weary and skeptical of like when they remake them, like why I even want to. But this one I felt they did a good job. So okay. that's going to oh. be my number three. Okay, I got a question. How is he walking around with cameras on his feet without breaking the cameras? They they weren't on the bottom of his feet. Well, they have to be for his feet to be invisible, too. Well, unless the camera... Well, I don't care. We, we're, we're, yeah, we're commenters. We don't understand the technology. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's not real technology, ultimately. It's not like anybody can make themselves invisible yet. That we know of. Yeah, I mean, if you're accept- if you're accepting that he's walking around in an invisibility yeah. suit, you have to kind of. And does the suit make him super powered? Because he's like this body in dudes in the hospital later. No, he's, so. he's a buff dude for whatever it's worth. Adrian was a, a in shape guy. I mean, <laughs> even though we didn't see him work out or we never saw him with his shirt off, he's one of those rich douchebags that I can see in the gym three times a day. You know, uh, I'm, I'm just saying I like the movie. I just have some nitpicks with it. Yeah, I'm very forgiving of the nitpicks. I am so forgiving of the nitpicks that the Invisible Man is my number two. Oh, so nice! Right into it from there because nice I think transition. This movie is almost fucking perfect. I gave this movie a 99 out of 100. It's it's fucking amazing. The fact that you're able to take a Universal monster movie about a mad scientist and turn it into a vindictive genius. You know, who's doing this all just to destroy the life of one woman. It just it shows a so you know, it shows how a sociopath can have a very focused mind, even if it's focused on the wrong thing. And like I said, like Mike said, the 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 fact that they're able to modernize it that way in a way that's completely believable and plausible. You know, they didn't try to say it was some serum or some kind of weird nuclear accident or, you know, anything too over the top goofy. They made it something that was mildly plausible, and I am totally down for that. Uh, great villain, you know, very easily hateable. I just a complete asshole, rich douchebag, abuser, gaslighter, whatever other fucking comment you could make about him. Uh, he did a, even though he's not really on screen for that long. Um, uh-huh. His presence is there, and it worked in the film and well, everything. Yeah, and I, I, I think the fact that he's not on screen. A ton, or at least that we're supposed to know as viewers, that just reinforces the allegory of getting out of a domestic abuse relationship is even though the person might not physically be there, the effects of it stick with you and you're never probably the same completely. And I thought that was just a brilliant way to display that. Uh, I just thought, you know, and if you compare it to like a few other try to do, I guess, similar you know, type modern era takes or subtext that have just completely failed. The fact that they just did it so well in this movie. And, you know, if you, even if you were just oblivious to all that somehow, I guess it's still just is a cool, fun movie. Yeah. 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 It's my top 50. And I have to give credit to Elizabeth Moss because her performance in this was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. She's great in it. Absolutely. Um, just 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's literally not much I can nitpick about. I, I wasn't real fond of the sister in this movie, not not her character necessarily, or the actress's performance, just certain decisions, and, you know, how easily a sister can be turned against another sister when it didn't. they didn't really set up that they had problems before, you know, before the start of the movie. Um, so some of the, you know, the way that the sister was too easily turned by one email, blah, 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 kind of bothered me, but... It's such a nitpick that, like I said, the movie's still almost perfect. They they remade a Universal monster movie, and now when people say The Invisible Man, this is what I'm going to think of. I'm not going to think of Claude Rains wrapped in bandages anymore. This is what I'm going to think of, yep. and that's I mean, that's a huge thing. I mean, because you know, Universal monsters these are these are like major historical pieces of cinema. And to be able to remake a movie like that and make it totally different from the original, you know, I mean, the only real similarity is the Mad Genius, basically. But everything else is updated and modernized in a way that it's incredibly enjoyable. So, yeah, any other year, this is a number one for me. But this year, there was one film that just entertained me a little bit more. We'll obviously get to that in a little bit. But, yeah. My number two and Mike's number three, The Invisible Man. Nice. My number fucking 700. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't hate, I don't hate the movie. It's, it's, it's on his invisible list. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where are we? Donnie, what's your number two, buddy? All right. Uh, there's no need for me to go long on this one. Um, it's already been brought up, I think, by everybody, uh, except for one where I think I know which, I think I know why. Uh, my number two is VFW. Yep. VFW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easily the most Excellent. fun I had at the theater this year. I can <laughs> see why I had a blast with this thing. Uh, just nonstop. It, it just, it starts off and it just never stops. Uh, it's so much fun. And yeah, I, I completely agree with everything that's been that about it it's just a blast to see every single one of these people that even though i'm not a huge fan of taking actors into account just knowing who they are seeing them kicking ass again it's just a blast and scory is all hell 80s up the ass i i loved it yeah, yeah. it really is it really is an amazing that. film yeah, I don't have much else to say about it and i think i know why so yeah <laughs> yeah my number two is VFW. Awesome. All right, Derek, number two. Number two is a South Korean possession film titled Metamorphosis, and this movie Woo! fucking blew my nice. socks off. Um, you know, it's great. I loved it. You know, it, yeah, it borrows a lot from, like, other exorcism movies, but, like, all Korean It has, like, Koreans always take from, you know, they're very cultured in the West of, you know, they have, they Americanize a lot of their movies. So that's why I think a lot of more Americans actually go to Korean movies more than, say, like a Japanese movie in that sense, because they, it's something they can more relate to in that sense. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like about this one is I love the, fa- I love how this movie ends. It ends with a fucking priest getting impaled with a fucking giant cross. And a burnt dead girl. I was like, whoa, what the fuck? I was expecting that in this movie. Fucking awesome. Fucking great ending. I love the whole beginning scene, too. Just the whole aspect of the family dynamic and how the ghosts or demon 
fucks with them yeah. is fucking great. I love that aspect of it. And it has a great some great twists and turns throughout it that keeps you engaged. Just dug the fuck out of this one. Love the ending. Really heartfelt. Great movie. Awesome. Yeah. Again, we've talked about it multiple times already, but this is one of those movies I enjoyed so much. I'll never get sick of talking about it. Absolutely loved it. And even though, as I've already said, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, it does everything right. And that's what matters. That's what's more important. Yeah, it's cool to be original. Mike and I have said this thousands of times on Fresh Cuts, and we'll say it thousands more. It's cool to be original, but I would rather uh, see a movie filled with cliches that are done right than someone who tries to do something original that fails miserably. So, yeah, Metamorphosis is spectacular. So, yeah, um, uh, God, I love that movie. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Brandon's number two is the same as Don's number two, and that is VFW. Um, uh, once again, Joe Bagos just absolutely killing it. Um, this movie's so good, it makes me like Bliss even more. Like, I already liked Bliss from last year. It did not make my top ten, but I really, really did enjoy it. And watching VFW makes me want to go buy Bliss because I, I just remember some of the great set pieces from Bliss and how much I really enjoyed it. And I think I might have more of an appreciation for it now that I'm starting to really understand Joe Bagos' filmmaking and his, you know, shot choices and things like that. So, yeah, VFW, great choice for Brandon's number two. That brings us to Scott. What's your number two, dude? All right. My number two got mentioned uh earlier on in the show and i will just say you're a fucking weird guy andy and that is rent a pal i i like i was saying uh relationships and splatter films are my favorites and this is like a relationship like a budding friendship that just becomes very bad because of how obsessed this guy becomes with will wheaton but uh man the performance from everyone in this film is just so freaking stellar. I've, I was so just rooting for this guy to just like have a normal life and to actually meet a woman and just be happy. And then just the obsession and like the struggle with him being lonely. It just hit me so hard at the same time. Like I just wanted everything good for this guy and it just did not happen. And it was, that's why I keep comparing it to, comparing it to May because I feel the same way about her character Ooh. in that movie. Yes. Yeah. Good it's call. Like I just want the best for her and then it just does not happen. And yeah. but man, like it is such a simple film and like just them pretty much playing off of each other through a TV screen and just Will Wheaton's character as Andy is just so freaking hilarious the way he is. And busted. <laughs> oh my god that scene cracked me up <laughs> but yeah I cannot say enough about this movie this one was this one is tied for my number one like it I could go back and forth with this one on my number one because I just love this movie so freaking much this is like a 10 out of 10 for sure oh yeah nice. great little movie um it's been a while since I've seen it uh, I, I feel like I've watched 200 movies since I watched Rent a Pal, but yeah, really good movie. Definitely leaves an impression. Will Wheaton does a great job, and I'm not usually a Will Wheaton fan by any stretch. I'm not really a fan of sci-fi television, so I don't really watch a lot of stuff with him in it. I'm not a Star Trek guy, blah, 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 but um, yeah, a great performance here. Definitely surprising. 
All right. Um, we are on Mike for the final number two of the night. Ha! Mike gets the last number two. I'll try to make it a good one. This number two is going to be dark and it's going to be wicked because my number two <laughs> is the dark and the wicked. Man, it's it's uh, gloomy. It's down. It is dark and it's wicked. And it's everything I love in a horror movie. I love the development. I love the story. I love the fact that um, this kind of demon possession or whatever is taking place with the backdrop of the family. You know, that's obviously feeling some guilt and uh, for it, it seems like they're they kind of set up the story where the you know the kids kind of abandon the family to go live their lives. The, the parents are out there on their own, so isolation guilt i love the fact that um at one you know at a, at one point in the movie the brother does what we want all people to do in horror movies when shit hits the fan he's like screw this i'm out of here and you think okay he did what you should do and it didn't make a goddamn difference <laughs> in the end because yeah. what happened happened um i just man I was taken with this movie and, you know, with, with, I'm at the age now with parents kind of, neither of my parents are like in that state or anything like that, (laughs) but you know, they're getting older and it's the, you know, it's one, I don't know. Sometimes I I don't know if it's, as you get older, you start to relate to things you might not have looked at in the same light before, because it's just not things that went through your head. At the time, it doesn't mean you wouldn't have still appreciated the movies on another level. But I think, you know, when it comes to movies like this or Vivarium, like I mentioned earlier, there's just certain things that, man, if you can pick it out and relate it and it just kind of hits you with that tone. And yeah, it, I, I love this movie. It it was very close to be my number one. But when we get to our number ones, I'll say what tipped that in favor of being my number one. So because this one's already been talking about, I won't say much more, but number two, Dark and the Wicked. That officially makes the Dark and the Wicked the most mentioned movie of the night, appearing on four of our six lists. Obviously, our number ones could change that a little bit, but it looks like Dark and the Wicked is the one that we've all kind of resonated with the most. So kudos to that, to Brian Bertino. Um, and that, oh, that, that was our last number two. That's right. Mike got the last number two. So number one, uh, but before we do number one, um, and our honorable mentions, I think, uh, we're going to go ahead and take one more quickie break, uh, just to kind of charge our batteries before we all go off on our number one selections and arguing to people why it shouldn't be on there, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so yeah, we'll be back in a couple of minutes, folks. Does that mean JP's coming here? Oh God, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm <laughs> 
right, so we are down to our number one picks of the year. But before we do that, we like to do our honorable mentions first, just because it feels better to end the show with our number ones. So, Venom, do you have some honorable mentions written down to read? Most of my honorable mentions have already been discussed. It's stuff like Hunter Hunter, Underwater, Possessor. Uh, the ones that are on my honorable mentions that haven't been discussed so far is uh, The Hunt, which was obviously the last horror film to come out in theaters before the pandemic started. Um, just a fun, violent, you know, humans hunting humans type movie that just I, I'm a big fan of these usually, especially when they incorporate some decent comedy and some very gory kills. Um, I'm very into it. Uh, the fight, the final fight at the end between the two female, uh, the female antagonist and protagonist, I thought was a great fight. You know, very uh, could rival any hand to hand fight I've seen any two men do in a movie. So great little film there. Um, Hashtag Alive is probably my second favorite zombie movie of the year next to Blood Quantum. Um, again, doesn't reinvent the wheel. It doesn't break the mold by any stretch. But, you know, because it utilizes some social media aspects in how they end the zombie apocalypse, or at least, you know, start going towards ending the apocalypse, uh, I thought was really, really well done. I thought that the characters, the two young main characters, were fun and, you know, easy to get behind. You know, neither one of them was really stupid or making terrible decisions. You know, they did what they could in, a, in an apartment building filled with zombies. So, you know, once again, hashtag alive. And then the last one I wanted to bring up is an Irish film that has gotten very little uh, discussion over the years. It's, it's a movie that I raved about when we first talked about it. Uh, we didn't actually review it on Fresh Cuts. Mike and I actually reviewed it um, either for Bloody Bits or for I think it was definitely Bloody Bits because it was earlier in the year. And that is an uh, isolation horror film set on a fishing boat, and that is Sea Fever. So, um, a very once again a very slow burn. It takes a while to actually get into it, but once it does, you know, get into the horror aspects of it, very gory, has some pretty visceral kills. Um, they are kind of standoffish with showing the villain or the antagonist, the creature, if you will, but. What parts of it that we do see basically scream Lovecraft, you know, it just looks like a another Dagon-type underwater, you know, old god uh, that glows, apparently. This thing had bioluminescence all over it, which I really liked. It added that extra visual flair to the film. So, yeah, uh, Sea Fever, um, definitely under-discussed and underrated film for the year. Like I said, it's a slow burn with not much of a payoff at the end. It's not like there's this big, grand confrontation. Um, it's just this quiet little film that really resonated with me this year. So, yeah, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, see if you can find it. I'm not even sure where it's available. I, I don't remember seeing any streaming um, services, but seek it out. If, if you're, Isn't if it on like Hulu? Is it on Hulu? It might be. I I saw it when it was on VOD, so I don't remember. But yeah, I it was, if it's on Hulu, it on Hulu. that's Hulu. awesome. Yeah, check it out if if you have access yeah, to think, it. I think it is on Hulu now because I ended up having to make a list for best Hulu movies. Cool. All right. And oh, oh, nice. Um. So yeah, that's Sea Fever, and that's pretty much it for my honorable mentions. Like I said, everything else has already been discussed. All right. I'll swing it to Don. Any honorable mentions for you? Um, yeah, uh, for me, I'm going to say uh, The Cleansing Hour, fantastic stuff. Yeah. I loved it, had tons of fun with it. 
maybe just ran like five minutes too long, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, another Asian horror film I loved that we covered here on uh, Fresh Cuts, Empathy Gore. Yes. Um, I actually was a huge fan of both anthology efforts that I was able to be on, uh, Mortuary Collection and Scare Package. Um, I'd probably slight Mortuary Collection a little bit more, but yeah, they were both really fun, and I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed both of them. And then the one that I really wanted on my list, but I couldn't put it, it's um, To Your Last Death. I I love that movie. That was so much fun. (laughs) Definitely great animated horror film. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with that one, and I really enjoyed it. So, I wanted it on my list. I just I couldn't justify it. So, nice, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, Derek, any honorable mentions? Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, this one of my shy people, VFW. Yeah. Dick, uh, nice. <laughs> dick. Uh, I I love the movie. It, it, it's just hard if I, I didn't put like a solemn precinct thirteen on like a horror list. I can't put this one. It has a lot more violence in it. I get it, but you know, it has to have something a little bit more in it to make it a little bit more horror. To even though I still recommend the film a lot in that sense, it's still a fantastic movie in my opinion. Definitely check it out. The Invisible Man, I said I had problems with it, but I was just kidding about my placement of it. I really do enjoy the movie. It just, you know, it's been a while since I watched it, and what last time I watched it, it went down for me a little bit, but I still really enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, give a shout-out to a few movies. A short film that I've seen over the year, The Howl Beyond the Fog, one of the greatest kaiju movies of the last 30 years, even though it's only 36 minutes. It's fantastic what the director did with that for making it with all puppets and the monster itself designed by the same guy who did Veron who designed. Oh, nice. You know, so that's a cool little fact of that movie. I highly recommend that movie. Pick up the release from, uh, SRS cinema. Uh, uh, the cleansing hour. I have to agree with Don that one. I really enjoyed that one. Actually a lot of good possession movies. Day of the Lord. I really enjoyed too. Uh, cool little Spanish exorcism movie. Uh, different countries don't listen. I actually like to involved like a tree impalement in the beginning, which I was like, Oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> Fun movie. And, uh, that's about it. Uh, like a lot of the movies mentioned already, like ghost killers versus bloody Mary. I have to, it's been a while since I watched that one, but I really enjoy that one too. I, I think I'm the one, the first one who talked about that movie. Like everyone should check that out. It's oh, cool. I so was talking fun. about it last year when I saw it at the, fe- when I saw it at, oh. um, Fantasia. Nice. Nice, nice. Good yeah. shit. Yeah, that's about it for me. Cool. Um, I guess that would bring us to Scott. Honorable uh, mentions? All right. Well, like I said, this year had been like really tough because it was like so many good films. So like I, I could go on and on and on, but I'll pick out some of the ones. Uh, for one, uh, three of them that have already been mentioned on lists, Dark and the Wicked, VFW, and Yummy. Loved all three of those movies. It was just so hard to like find spots for them. Yeah. Um, but one that hasn't gotten mentioned, I'll bring up because I just love this, and it's uh, "Scare Me," the Shutter exclusive with the, which is just two people pretty much acting out stories to each other when the power is out. I just had so much fun with this movie because it's just like 
watching a two-person stage play, and I just had a blast with it. Um, then there is the uh, one that also came out right around the same week as Don't Listen, and that is The Call, uh, yes. the Korean film. That one was mm-hmm. so freaking good. Um, and then the other one I want to mention is uh, Werewolf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I forgot about Werewolf. Yeah, yeah that absolutely. one... That one just like blew me away because I did not, I did not know what to go, uh, what to expect going in on that film, and it was such a just good, freaking story, and takes a turn that I didn't expect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really liked it too. I had a lot of fun. With it. The only problem is I saw it two years ago because I have the UK Blu-ray of it. <laughs> oh, oh, and I got one more, uh, Uncle Peckerhead, just because yes. the movie is just oh, so much fucking movie, fun. That movie is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that movie was good. <laughs> All right, Mike. Uh, last and very definitely least, what do you got? <laughs> All right. Well, since everything's already been, or not everything, but mostly what I had written down's already been brought up. The two I have are "May the Devil Take You Too," which is a sequel to "May mm-hmm. the May the Devil Take You." Um, I really liked it. Now yeah, I, I was too. a big fan of the first one, but yeah. the Second one, I love the setting. I love the motivations of the characters. I, I feel it. It's even more claustrophobic, uh, and it, you know, to use the word scary. I mean, I want to say it's a little even more frightening on the first one, but it's been a while since I saw the first one, so I'd probably have to watch them back to back to like totally compare. But man, I was really surprised at how good the sequel was and uh so there's that and then one i saw late that i i i want to say with a second watch it could go even but i just didn't have the time this was a pretty recent release that's loose flower of evil and if you like your kind of religious cult movies with all sorts of bad stuff going on and this is a movie for you. I thought it was really good. I think, like I said, a second watch would probably make it even go up to me, but just didn't have the time to get it in there. But because I really liked it, I wanted to make sure to give it an honorable mention. Um, so those are my two. I mean, I had Uncaged and Pedagore written down too, but those have been talked about a lot tonight. Or in Pedagore, at least Uncaged, Derek did have it on his list. So yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, happy with all these movies man and i'm ready to get into some number ones yeah all right then let's do it i guess i'll go ahead and start us off and ultimately if anybody's been paying attention to what i've been saying as the night's been going on it should be fairly obvious what my number one is but yeah this is another movie where i almost feel like i'm making up for a mishap from last year i talked about how much i enjoyed his film from last year but it just missed my top 10. Well, he comes back this year with what I feel like, and this is just my personal opinion, is damn near a perfect film in every way. And though many people are going to disagree with me on this one, um, I really don't care. It's my list. So, yeah, my number one is Joe Bagos's VFW. This movie yeah. resonated with me in every single frame of this film between the cinematography, um, the score is my second favorite score of the year. 
fucking ensemble cast. Stephen Lang, William Sadler, Fred Williamson, David Patrick Kelly, George Witt, fucking Martin Cove. No harm was in this goddamn movie. Um, and and, there, and there's still more people. Um, you've got Dora Madison, who was the star of Bliss, which is the movie I was talking about from last year. Cobra that, Kai, uh, No Mercy. Yes, yes, that's right. Also in Cobra Kai. But, um, mm. man, uh, this movie, like I said, it, I went back and watched Bliss after watching this in theaters the first time, and it just really made me appreciate Bliss a little bit more. Um, his choice of lighting, his choice of score, um, his the kills. I mean, the kills are ridiculous and gory. Some of the goriest kills we've seen this year. Um once again, a very satisfying ending, except for the fact that we end up, you know, losing a lot of the characters that we, you know, kind of fall in love with throughout this uh-huh. film. But with a fit with a cast this big, and it is a horror film, obviously there's going to be losses. So yeah, I mean, you know, expect some, you know, some kind of heartbreaking deaths. But you know, at the same time, uh, I just again, I've said this a bunch today, but again, I, I just can't say enough good things about this movie. This movie is a 100 out of 100, and that's saying a lot for me, because uh, just to let you guys know, because I know I've already mentioned the 99 and 100, I do the 10-point system when I first watch a film, and then at the end of the year, I will you know take like my top 15 or 20, and I will watch them again with very meticulous eyes. I turn off all my devices, I turn off the lights in my house, I give my full attention to the movies, and then I give them a score on a 100 scale uh, to, to put my top 10 together. And whereas I mentioned The Invisible Man is a 99 out of 100 to me, this is a 100. There is nothing wrong with this movie, in my personal opinion. Obviously, it's just my opinion. Um, but like I said, everything in this movie works. It doesn't take long to get into the action. I mean, within 10 minutes, there have already been people, you know, uh, rushing into the VFW to uh, get the package that has been stolen, um, you know, from our main antagonist. I, I just everybody in this movie is likable, even the villains. And that's saying a lot because villains are supposed to be hated. But it's like. You know, between our main villain, Boz, his number one gutter, his brother, his enforcer, Tank. It's like they're all great villains. They, they they resonated with me in just such a great way. And the fact that this movie came out on Valentine's Day does my heart good. It, it warms the cockles of my heart <laughs> that it came out on Valentine's Day. And hopefully there were at least a few couples that went out and saw it on Valentine's Day, as I did, even though I saw it by myself because my wife works nights. But that's neither here nor there. But this is a movie that I watched in theaters. And that night I went home and bought the digital because this movie got the simultaneous digital and theatrical release. Um, and literally within minutes of walking in the door, I went ahead and spent my 15 bucks and bought the digital copy. And then as soon as the 4k came out, I now have that. And I've watched that a few times. And yeah, this, this, I, I, this movie is so stellar. There's, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with it. So yeah, I'm going to shut up now before I go off, uh, you know, for another hour on this movie, but yeah. This is easily my favorite movie of 2020 and one of my favorite movies of the last, like, five years or so. Just the, the way that they're able to incorporate action with horror. The 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 gang, um, you know, once they had taken their dose of hype, 
um, the way that they basically became mindless killers. I mean, this was basically a zombie slash horde slash siege film. And, you know, I just love every aspect of this film. So, yeah, number one, without a shadow of a doubt for Mr. Venom is VFW. Nice. Nice. Was there was there any point in the year that you thought it nope. would be like, I'm sure you well, saw it like maintaining, maintaining. When I first and, saw the invisible. Like, was there anything that pushed it? No. Or was it well ahead on your number one when you were? It was number one all or? year from the from the moment I saw it. It was my number one movie. I that's happened to me in the past. Um, Hereditary was an example of a movie that I saw it and it was my number one movie for the whole rest of the year. Nothing even came close. Uh, same thing with The Void in 2017. As soon as I saw that, it was my favorite movie and it never changed. This was number one all year, but The Invisible Man had a very solid chance of knocking it out. I ended up watching these a couple of nights ago back to back, and I was able to solidify my 99 for Invisible Man and 100 for VFW. Just, I mean, I, I literally watched VFW looking for something wrong, like looking for something that I could nitpick, and there was absolutely nothing. I just, I love the characters. I love everything that happens to all these characters, the way that they, you know, the way that they work together, the way that some of them kind of go off and work on their own, even though, you know, it kind of ends up working against them, especially for uh, a Cobra Kai guy. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, just, I, I can't, I, I just, I could talk about this movie for hours. So go ahead and cut me off now. Go, Don. So that we can get <laughs> number one. Don, what do you got for number one? Uh, all right, my number one to the shock of those, to the shock of no one that knows my love of zombie movies, Blood Quantum. Yes. Nice. Excellent. This was pretty much number one the second it came out for me. Um, to answer, I, I think Mike's uh, pertinent question. Um, once I realized porno was going to come out, and once I realized Ghost Killers was going to come out, um, they gave it pushes. But um, yeah, for me, uh, this was pr- pretty much Blood Quantums to lose, and it never relinquished it. So. Yeah, that was uh, my number one, and it was the it was pretty much there from the moment I saw it. Nice, very dope, awesome, very very cool. All right, that brings us to Derek, brother. What's your number one? All right, so this is a movie that I'm very excited to talk about because I every movie, most of the movies on my list have downer endings. This one actually ends on a happy note, and this movie has so much heart and it's so cute, and it's the best South Korean zombie movie of the year. And that is Zombie for Sale. Nice. Hmm. Did you guys see this one? I have I not. You did? I did, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, this movie just has so much heart to it. I just... Yeah. It just... It's like Train to Busan meets Happiness of the Catacurries. <laughs> That's good. I like that. You know? And I love all the self-referential shit. I loved the scene where the old the brother who came from America is like, I know what's going on. And he shows him on his phone a scene from Train to Busan. It's so cute in that sense, where it's like a Seth Rational fucking movie from like a few years ago. And, you know, they have like the zombie survival guide. It's so funny. And the zombie itself is one of the best actors in the movie. I love the reactions. (laughs) I love that the zombie just eats cabbage. It's so cute. It's so cute. And then the whole thing, the scheming family, the soul scheming family dynamic of the movie works so well for me. It just, 
it's just a quirky, weird, funny movie. And I needed this. It's definitely a movie that I think a lot of people will appreciate, especially with the shit going on in the world today. It has a lot of heart and charm to it. And it has some great zombie scenes in it. I, all practical effects, which I give big ups for a movie like Peninsula has a lot of CGI in it. Mm-hmm. And this one uses all practicals. It's so great and so much heart. Uh, I love this movie with a passion. Uh, one of the funnest movies I've seen in years, in my opinion. So much heart and soul into it. So good. And Mike, fuck you, because I've been mentioning this movie for fucking all year to see it, and you haven't. So fuck off. <laughs> Man, I'm going to have to look this one up now, because I have not even heard of it. Uh, yeah. Arrow Video put it out on Blu-ray, and uh, if you, you could do... Uh, they have their own streaming service now, Arrow, and you could watch it on there if you want, Scott. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great selection. Surprising that no one's really talked about it, but yeah, yeah. Um, definitely in my top five zombie for the year, but, you know, like I said, stuff like Blood Quantum and Yummy and hashtag um, Alive all worked for me a little bit more. The comedy was great, though. I, I did really enjoy it, so yeah. Great pick, Derek, at number one. And for Brandon, uh, his number one is one that we have not discussed at all, and that is Love and Monsters. Um, Brandon is a very eclectic horror film watcher, um, well, film watcher in general. I know last year he famously had the Joker either at number one or number two of his 2020 list. And he, you know, he would die on that hill that the Joker was a horror film to him. And that's fine. Like I said, I'm not going to get into those kind of discussions during a best of year. Um, But yeah, this is another surprising selection because Love and Monsters doesn't really come off as a horror film. It comes off more like a romantic comedy that just happens to have monsters in it. Um, You know, kind of an adventure road film, if you will. Yeah, it's like zombie land with monsters instead of zombies. I'll go with that. That's that's a good description. Um, but I love this movie. I, I really did enjoy it. I thought it was adorable. I thought it was cute as hell. It didn't get ultra sugary, which, you know, I've already talked about how much I hate romance in horror or genre films in, gen- in general. But uh, this one worked for me. You know, they didn't really ram it down our throat. And even once the two got together, it wasn't like a fairy tale situation where everything is hunky-dory now that we're together. No, if yeah. anything things kind of got worse when they finally found each other. So um, we got some really good CG monsters. Some of them actually are adorable, even though they're giant. There's a giant crab in the the movie that I actually really liked. I thought he was fucking great once they released him. Uh, you know, once they released him from, you know, uh, control uh, from the person that was controlling it, I just thought he was an awesome little addition. Honestly, all the monsters in the movie are enjoyable. Like I said, it is all CG. So if you've got a problem with CG heavy movies, it might not be for you. Um, the co- the kills aren't the bloodiest in the world. It is a PG film. Like I said, it's not really horror at all. But if you consider creature features horror, then it's a solid creature feature with romantic elements and adventure elements and things like that. So, yeah, not a bad choice. And once again, just like with Don, I always like when Brandon kind of goes against the norm with uh, a lot of his picks. So, yeah, kudos to Brandon. Good job. Um, I like that someone brought that to their list because it definitely deserves to be discussed. It's just a matter of... 
do we want to talk about it on a horror podcast or, you know, maybe something more specific to it, like a creature feature podcast or something like that. But yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And a great dog actor too. Boy was amazing in the movie. The dog yeah. who played boy. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's more of a boy and it's dog movie than because the romance shit doesn't come to, to the end of the movie. To be honest, you know, it's, it's it's there, but it's, like, not over-killing you with it either. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. The fact that they're not, you know, smashing our heads in with the romance or with, you know, any of the non-horror elements of it, I, I thought was really, really well done. So, yeah, a movie that maybe a lot of horror fans didn't watch because the trailer even kind of makes it look like a almost like a family film, you know, but I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a family film. It, you know, there's still a little bit of blood in there. Not much, but a little plus bit. Plus Michael Rooker. And plus Michael Rooker, you know, babysitting a little girl. I mean, he's the Tallahassee of this world. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that uh, analogy. Yeah. Zombie land with monsters. That's perfect. So, yeah. yeah. If, the, if that, it sounds like a combination you'd enjoy, then yeah. Seek out love and monsters. It's worth checking out. Yeah, this is one that I need to watch. I'm probably going to watch it tonight now. You watched yeah, that in so, my number one. Yeah, and what was the name of your number one again? Zomb- right, Z- Zombie for Sale. Zombie yep. for Sale, all right. Yeah. Once the show is out, uh, listeners, once the show is out, I will post all six top ten lists on the No More Room in Hell Facebook page um, just so that you can all see, you know, um, uh, we still want you to listen to the show, damn it, but I'll post these after the show's been out for a few days so that people can check it out. But, yeah. And you can comment to us and, you know, yell at us if you don't agree with us. Those are That's always fun. So, <laughs> And I'll be sending the money out to the people when the votes start. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, Scott, what is your favorite horror film of 2020? All right. So if anyone has listened to my show, they pretty much should know what my number one is. At this I know point, what it is. Point. I think yeah, I like, know what it is. I... Pretty much, this has been at my number one spot since it released on Valentine's Day, and that is the relationship horror film After Midnight. There it is. Yep. This film pretty much I struck a chord with me because it was roughly yeah in February it was roughly a year since my divorce, and watching this film I was just like, holy crap, this is pretty much what my relationship was like for the last <laughs> couple of years, and like there was a certain scene in it about, I'd say it was a good six minutes of them just talking to each other. And I'm just like, holy crap. Yeah. This is a little too close to home for me. Like it almost like brought back some uh, bad memories of how my relationship was. And it just kind of stuck with me since then. And I honestly have to say this movie was part of the reason I got over my uh, divorce so quickly, just cause it just helped me kind of cope with everything. And that's nice, isn't it? When art actually helps you with your life. I like that. Yeah. Like, and it just, since then it has just stuck with me. Cause like, I, I loved uh, this director's previous movie, the battery. It was just once mm-hmm. again, another kind of a, like a relationship movie with like the two guys just kind of surviving together in this zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And great. Movie. It's, he is so good with his dialogue and I just absolutely loved every second of this film is it a horror? Eh, it's, it's one of those that can be debated, but like it has a really cool, freaky ass monster in it, and probably the uh, best jump scare I had have I have had the entire year at the very end of that movie. Like I, 
my heart was racing when this scene ended up happening because <laughs> I did not expect it or see it coming. But it pretty much this monster is just a his basically loneliness and depression. And like I I could relate with this film so freaking much. So like it, it was my number one back then and it stayed my number one the entire year. Yep, it's a depressing version of Bad Milo. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except it didn't come I'm out surprised. of his ass. <laughs> the only thing I'm surprised about with Scott's list is that Mom isn't on it. You raved about it so much early in the year. Oh, yeah, that that was one I should have brought to my honorable mentions, because, yeah, that was another one that it just eventually just got pushed out, pushed out, pushed right. out as, like, the year went on. But, man, it is, that is another one of those films that is just so freaking good to me. Yeah, it's a heavy film. Absolutely. Great movie. Uh, available on Shutter, I believe, right? Uh, I, I think it's uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. There you go. Optimus Prime. All yeah. right, Mike, <laughs> let's let's close out this shit show of a year with your number get, one. Get some get the tomatoes out. <laughs> uh, all right, my number one is a sophomore effort from the director, the son of a legend of body horror. He has his father's skills in him, or at least early on, he's establishing himself there. He has a long way to go, obviously, to build up that name, but through two movies, I think he's well on his way. Brandon Cronenberg, Bravo to Possessor. I loved this movie. Nice. Let me tell you, uh, the reason why it snatched number one from Dark and the Wicked. Because you fell asleep I loved them both. It was close. (laughs) Yes, that I guess so. Um, uh, it was uh, the Dark and the Wicked possession movie, right? The evil demon or devil, whatever. It was doing everything you would expect, right? It was done in a great way. Loved everything about the movie. But what really struck a chord with Possessor, and which pushed it to the number one position was the fact that uh, this was just a regular old person that was going through this arc and by the end of the movie it's not a demon or a devil that has possessed them to make them the way they are it's the person's self-realization that that's their identity and to me that ending is just so chilling when she finally kind of embraces the fact now you can make an argument that because of her career and the company she works for of course, along the way, they were messing with her mind. Just the process of what they do in Possessor, there's some manipulation and mind fuckery going on anyway. But I think, you know, with all the subtext of identity and realizing your identity and realizing how just in regular life, how many characters do we have to play in a daily, you know, in our daily lives, just depending on who you're dealing with face to face, different crowds we might run with, you know, you might have your sports group your movie nerds group your video games group it's i think it just you know i liked it when i saw it and the more i thought about it i was just like man this issue of identity and coming you know coming to uh i guess just the realization coming to grace being at peace with what you feel your identity truly is it's done in such a harrowing way in this movie and man it just struck those chords and Man, that you know that final sequence and just the way the movie ends, it it pushed it to number one, and that is my number one. Possessor. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you with that ending, man. That ending was a little bit of a shock, not necessarily because of the reveal of who was playing who, but the the reaction of our female uh, protagonist, the fact uh-huh. that she was almost at peace with what happened with her family. And that's kind of chilling, you know? I mean, obviously she's, a, she's an assassin, so she's got to be a little cold, if you will, and uncaring, but... When it actually yeah. came to like her only child and what happened with that aspect of the story, that was even more chilling to me. The fact that she was just kind of complacent yeah, about because, the whole thing. Right, because there's plenty of movies that tackle kind of like, okay, I'm like some secret agent. I have to have a dual life because mm-hmm. I don't want to endanger my family. That's been done, but I feel like what what this movie did, they went that further yard and said, well, she doesn't really want the family life to begin with. She doesn't want to balance it. She's kind of doing it because she thinks that's, that's what quote unquote normal human being does is I have my job and I have my family. But by the end of the movie, you realize her family life was her acting job. That was the role she was playing for a normal person where she really wanted to be this ruthless killer and, getting the family out of the way is what the, like the only thing that would admit, let her fully embrace that role in life is getting rid of her family. Yeah. And that's it, fucked up, yeah. but man, oh, it hit yeah. very terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely like the way they handled that ending and, um, for, for this being his second movie. It, it is amazing. It's an amazing film and I can't wait to see what he does next. I really, really hope that he del- delves into straight up just body horror like his dad did. But at the same time, if he, if he kind of cements himself as the sci-fi horror guy of the new era, then I'm okay with that as well. So, you know, and, it, and it's looking like he's got a bright future. And there's only one song to end that off of. Secret Agent Mandy! Secret <laughs> Agent Mandy! I'm just not surprised that it's Mike that's picked the movie with all the dick in it. <laughs> so much uncomfortable. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just shocked, Don. You you stayed up for that because uh, I tried watching this movie like six times and kept fucking falling asleep to it. Wow, to possessor. Yeah, it's fucking it fucking bored the shit out of me. Yeah, it'll happen. Nuts, I mean, dude. it's not it's not the most action packed film, but it's very cerebral. Um, well, it I mean, the, depending on the time I started it too, that I might have just watched it the wrong time. Well, yeah, that you nice, uh, that's that's happened. That's happened to me. That happens to me. Oh sure. Oh man, wow. what a year, huh? Yeah, this year was insane. For many I mean, aside aside from the real life shit that we all had to deal with, I mean, still a great year for movies. Like I said, anybody who tells me twenty twenty is a weak year is going to get slapped in the mouth by me. Yeah. This is not a weak year. I don't care what you tell me. Yes. We didn't have our theaters. We didn't have our big theatrical releases. We didn't get A Quiet Place 2, which was like one of my most anticipated movies of 2020, considering the first Quiet Place was my number two film of that year. Um, and obviously all the other movies that we talked about that got postponed, The Candymans and everything else, Spiral. Yeah, there was uh, Antlers 2, which I really wanted oh, to see. Oh, I wanted to yes, see that too. fucking Guillermo. I mean, Jesus. And, and I purposely didn't watch any trailers. And now I kind of wish I had, because I still don't know what that movie's about. <laughs> Since I bring this one up all the time, I'll say St. Maud we were supposed to get last year. Yes. Oh, St. Maud. Oh. And, and St. Maud actually was on, 
Because I'm the opposite of you guys. I actually will listen to every top ten show that comes out before I record mine. Not necessarily to get feedback, but just to kind of see if there's anything that I missed that maybe I should watch. Like, I actually saw that The Other Lamb was on a couple of top ten lists that I had watched on YouTube. Oh, God. That That movie was a tough one for me. So, so boring. Incredible as hell. And I'm I, I feel I feel like there was a lot for all the good, good stuff in 2020. There was like a lot of VOD, like I don't want to say like low low budget, but kind of lower budget that that it felt like they've been watching kind of like the trends of like the last few years, and they're trying to make like their versions of it. And a lot of them are just like no, like you just don't have the writing like prowess as like some of these like a like a um shit all the directors have like left my mind but you know stuff that really made movies like hereditary special like these yeah. these thing the other movies that are trying to be like that it's like you just and they might one day even further into their their career but you could see that a lot of movies were trying to be that and they just couldn't yeah it happens oh man all right mike what do you say we tie a bow on this guy and say goodbye to 2020 yeah um we've got a bunch of podcasters as guests on this show so we need to let everyone know where they can (laughs) listen yeah so as usual we will go around the cast let us know uh where people can hear you and if you've got something recent let them know what you did on your recent show so um Don, do you, are you currently doing anything besides Fresh Cuts at the moment? Uh, yeah, um, I'm probably going to steal Jerry's uh, Venom Thunder from this because we have a new episode of Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space available. Um, it's been our return from several months of hiatus just for personal issues, but uh, we came back and looked at uh, Godzilla vs. Destoroya and the next episode of Ultraman, which was episode 23? Yeah, yeah, episode 23. Episode 23. So uh, we're still going episode by episode on that. And uh, we're up to number 23 on that episode. So we're probably going to be starting talking the next few weeks about coming back for the next episode when we're going to record that, but um, we'll see how that goes. And um, my other podcast, my main show, uh, The Great Graveyard Shit Podcast, which is <laughs> rebranded from uh, Bay of Blood, which was the old name. Um, no input on mine. Um, I found out about it just as everybody else did because <laughs> I was completely, I was completely in the dark. Nobody told me anything. They should have voted. Um, they should have yeah. voted with you. Yeah, but what can you do? I actually think it's kind of funny. <laughs> I'll say it is a great name. <laughs> yeah. Um, we actually. We ended up and we recorded a special episode involving a cold, wintry horror films, which uh, should be out by now. I don't know why it's not. Um, uh, other than that, uh, we're in the process of finalizing when we're going to record our own best of list, which is going to be when I'm going to reveal my true definitive best of 2020 list, because as I mentioned at the start of this special roundtable, my list tonight was only only related to fresh cuts covered films so the the total that venom is going to put out will not be accurate in the slightest because it's not my top 10 of the year it's top 10 covered 
on Fresh Cuts. So if you want to hear my actual true list, that will be on uh, whenever that episode gets released. So. so 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 before you go on, I just have to say you that means I have to watch Beauty and the Beast, the candle scene. Oh, be our guest, be our guest. I can't believe that. Remember when I was on Day of Blood and I made Will sing that? I <laughs> yeah, I wasn't on for that one. <laughs> I was yeah, that was our first time. appearance, Derek. Yeah. It was my first and only appearance. <laughs> one of the Jaws ripoffs, though? No, I gave up on no. that. No, he wasn't on that. I thought he was. I had to go to work. Oh, that's right, yeah, because you were the yeah, you're supposed to be on part two, but then you canceled. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Money, money's more important, buddy. I, I hear you, <laughs> especially against Will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but other than that, yeah, I'm just ready to get back into the 2021 podcasting grind. So that's all I've got. Nice. Cool. Uh, Scott, why don't you go ahead and jump in? Uh, where else can people find you? All right. So uh, obviously there is the show that you and I do with Heather Nudie and Android Virus, uh, and that is It's Not Horror. Okay. I do that uh, against my will. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> and you put up with me in a very uh, <laughs> patient way. Just so people say. know, Nudie forced me to be on that show. So. <laughs> yep, and you're just kind of part of it now. <laughs> You just absorbed by. Uh, I guess yeah, I wanted to have at least one good podcaster on the show, so they put me on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, and uh, what was the? Uh, we ended up doing uh, your pick on Thursday, which was uh, Ruckus, which was a lot of fun just to talk uh, talk about. <laughs> it was something else for sure. Hey, I hadn't seen it in like 36 years, so I can't be blamed for that. <laughs> hey, I've picked way worse movies on that show, so I'm oh, not going to say Yeah, most of them. Hey, now, hey, now. <laughs> um, but then uh, you can also find me on the Friday Nightmares podcast, which is under the Kill the Cast banner on Legion Podcast Network. Uh, Heather and I, uh, we just released our 2020 award show, which we pretty much just... Uh, came up with different categories to kind of highlight different horror films from 2020 that more than likely won't see top 10 lists, but some will, some won't. But like, we just wanted to kind of like make our show a little bit different than the norm. That is the end of the year shows. And tomorrow we are recording our one year anniversary show. And we are going to be talking Japanese ghost stories, uh, versus the American remakes. And, Ooh. Uh, so we're covering Ringu, Juan, Pulse, uh, One Miss Call, and uh, uh, what was the other one? Shudder? B.I.? Uh, no, uh, crap. Yeah, see, Ringu, Juan, Pulse, One Kill Miss Call. Two Sisters? No. Damn it, now I can't <laughs> think of it. Oh, uh, Dark Water. Oh. Ah, Dark and then Water. we talked, uh, we're going to kind of go compare them back and forth. But uh, yeah, that'll be our one-year episode. So I'm looking forward to doing that because we're also going to be doing listener feedback at the end of the show as well and uh, just kind of talking about highlights of the year so far because we can't believe it's already been a year that we've been recording. <laughs> I can't believe it's been a year since I've left my house. Yeah, that too. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that too, man. So, uh, yeah. yeah, maybe the first to say happy anniversary, man. Happy anniversary, happy man, seven family anniversary. <laughs> 
<laughs> what am I saying? I want me to go next, Venom, since Mike disappeared. Yeah, go ahead, please. Sure, and as you know, actually we recorded episode 50 of Cinema Attack uh, the same day as this. It should be out around the same time as this, where we talk about a film that has been teased in our chats on Underwater Kaiju. But I'm fucking like, I'm going to cover it myself. And that is Matango by Ashiro Honda. So, yeah, we talked about that in great detail. Even I even read fucking the Ishiro Hondo biography by Steve Rifle for that. So enjoy that little segment. And it's going to be a great show. It's fun, nice and easy, breezy. And we read Mr. Venom. There you go with that, Don. That was a good one. (laughs) Sorry, that was just such low hanging fruit I had to. <laughs> I think I think I was using those words because I was actually looking at a cover girl ad too. <laughs> on my computer. But uh yeah that should be out around the same time this comes out and also maybe around the same time this comes out I did, as I mentioned I think maybe it was off ear. Uh they're here podcast did a top ten first time watches of twenty twenty which is not actual twenty twenty movies it's older movies that we watched for the first time in the year 2020, which was a fun thing to do. Had lots of conversations about different movies with me and Lacey. Uh, check that out. And as always, you can check me out on the main show, which is No More Room in Hell, which I do with Venom and Mike, where me and I had to, I stay there because Venom needs me or he'll just go crazy and leave. <laughs> Mike's fucking useless sometimes. Uh, I'm just kidding, Mike. I love you. You know that. It's all tough love. Uh, and, of course, it's my picks, the next picks, and I'm going to announce them right now on this show. We are actually looking at a few Finnish folk horror movies for the next episode. Starting with an early, early example of Finnish folk horror known as the White Reindeer, which is going to be weird because it's about a vampire reindeer. Yes. <laughs> nice. And I'm then, excited. And then we're going to talk about a Martin one known as Sauna, which I've been excited. It's actually these are going to be first time watches for me, so I can't be blamed if they're bad. So there we go. Maybe I can. I'll just blame Mike. Yeah, we'll just blame Mike anyways. There you go. There you go. (laughs) But that's it for me, guys. All right. Well, as far as I'm concerned, um, most of what I'm on has already been discussed. Um, it's not horror, okay? The commentary podcast that I do with Scott, available every two weeks on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. Um, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space that I do with both Derek and Don. Um, Derek already talked about our latest episode that's available. That's available on the Legion Podcast Network, so check that out. Um, obviously, we talked about the main show, No More Room in Hell, which we're going to be covering Derek's picks next. Fresh Cuts, of course, the show that you're listening to right now will remain a weekly show in 2021. We will continue to look at the newest horror releases in the genre and discuss them every Monday. I think the episodes usually come out on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, so continue to look for that on the Dark Discussions Network. And then the only other one of my shows that's still active is In the Mic of Madness that I do with the lovely Rebecca Reinhardt and Brad Thornton. Uh, we just finished our Frank Hennenlotter complete retrospective with the last two Basket Case films. 
Um, and the next episode that we're going to be recording this coming week is going to be, uh, we're all going to do our top 10 winter horror films. So winter snow based horror, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we'll be doing that for the next episode. We figured we'd do something where we didn't have to actually review any movies just to kind of start the year off easy. Um, so look for that. And plus everybody's doing their 2020 top 10 list. So we just figured we'd do a different top 10. Um, Hopefully, I've been talking to Jerry Herring. Hopefully, Cult Unknown will make a return in 2021. That is our, you know, uh, conspiracy theory, cryptozoology uh, podcast that we've done. Uh, our, we've only done one episode so far, and that was on Bigfoot. Our second episode is supposed to be on alien abductions. So hopefully that'll be out sooner than later. That'll be also available on the Legion Podcast Network. And that's probably all that I've got going on. Um, did Mike make it back? Did we lose Mike completely? I, no, I've been here. I just oh, okay. You've been quiet. Didn't as interrupt, shit. and then you guys you kept transitioning to other people, so I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> but uh, I don't really have anything else going on besides our shows, except for tomorrow, which uh, Scott Crawford will actually be joining me on on Bo's Vampire Show. Yeah. Uh, Ooh. It's uh, our top ten. Well, we're each bringing a top ten vampires list to make a cumulative top twenty. And uh, first time for me, it's going to be broadcast live on like YouTube, Twitch, and I, I can't remember the third place if it was Facebook Live or what. But it's going to be interesting. This, it, I've done like video before, but nothing that wasn't ended up converted to audio. So this will be interesting. And I for. From what I hear, they'll have like the live chats going, so people can join and give input. So it is oh, really both vehicles. Face for two hours. Joining. Yeah, you got to look at mine and Mike's. Hey. Face. I'm sorry. Oh, I try to talk them out of it. I mean, I do have the silver shamrock mask I can always wear. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wear a face mask. There's a virus going around. But don't worry, yeah. Heather's face will be on there, and she'll even it all out. Okay, I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Why is Godzilla yelling at me? <laughs> Because Mike was on. <laughs> we should make a video yeah. version of that sad part so we know what we were talking about. <laughs> oh, and um, before we forget, um, just in case, uh, because Brandon's not here, uh, go ahead and check out his show, uh, The Anatomy of Fear. And yep. his sidecast, um, He's Gonna Need Therapy, which he does with his son. I think yeah. that's on Dark Discussions, isn't it? I, think I believe so. it is, yeah. At the very yeah. least, he, he needs th- he's going to need therapy is. I'm not sure about the main show, but it probably is anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just because he's not here, just wanted to give his shout- show a sh- yeah. shout out. And him. once again, so. you know, thank you to Brandon for joining us. You know, even though he didn't have as much time as we had hoped, these, you know, as I mentioned earlier, these top ten shows tend to go long. I'm actually shocked that we're going to end this in under five hours, considering how many hosts we had and how much discussion we had. But, I mean, you know, we didn't do much of an intro for the show, so that kind of makes sense. So hopefully, you know, everyone had at least a decent 2020. I mean, I I can't say that many people had a great 2020, but, you know... um, for whatever it's worth, uh, my stocks in the medical field skyrocketed in 2020, so I made money. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Lucky you should have invested in uh, Zoom as well. There Lucky you go. Zoom, Zoom. <laughs> yeah, Zoom, I don't know, Zoom stocks. Uh, yeah, we, we actually came out of 2020 not too bad, personally. I mean, yeah, obviously things 
things could have been better given the situation, but considering like other people's situations, everything people have gone through, I don't have too much to complain about. Yeah. Like I said, most of us were lucky enough to continue to work, whether it was at home or continuing to go to work. My wife is also in the medical field, just like Brandon. So, you know, both of our incomes were unaffected, blah, blah, blah. In fact, I work over 20 miles away from my house. So the fact that I didn't have to drive to work every day, I actually made more money in 2020. Go figure. Uh, You know, what are you going to do? California traffic. I mean, a 20 minute drive takes me an hour and a half. So, yeah, figure that shit out. But anyway, oh God, is that Bolton? Bolton now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, folks, uh, thank you very much for joining us for today's show. Thank you for joining us all year. Um, You know, uh, we survived, and even though 2021 kind of started off kind of shaky, hopefully, come January 20th, things will start normalizing again. And obviously, as the virus vaccine gets distributed more hopefully we'll be able to see each other at the theater more conventions my god it's been a year since i've been to a convention that's terrible yeah. ah. I, I, I haven't i haven't frivolously spent all my money what you know you know what we all look like after this bro <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, i was gonna say hell um come like february 5th i think it was the uh one year since heather came to visit and we had like so many more plans to hang out in. Yep, that was yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. COVID nineteen shit on all our plans mm-hmm. for twenty twenty. So what are you gonna do? But again, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for continuing to listen to both Fresh Cuts and No More Room in Hell and all the other shows that we've mentioned today. Uh, Mike, you got anything else to say before we hit stop record? <laughs> <laughs> nah, just said we should be. Back to normal relatively soon, um, and a whole other year to start over again with. I got one thing to say. Say it. Fulci lives. (laughs) 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 All right, folks, take care and have a great 2021. We'll talk to you soon. Later. Peace out.